Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is a very, very special program. First of all, it's the first program after Pesach. We took a nice break. So we're back and better than ever. And thank you for coming. Tonight's shear is sheer 100. Zoycha to do 100 of the shiurim of chizik and of awareness. And it's been unbelievable. And we have a lot to say before we even get to the shear. Hopefully, Shalim, we'll start around like around 1030. It should be your time to speak, but we're going to speak a little bit about about a little about Coach Menachem and about the last hundred shiurim. We have a lot to say about that. But again, for everybody coming tonight, uh, first of all, the shiur always started because of people. It's not uh, there's no funding here. There's no uh, agenda. It's really just for people coming, posting on their statuses, on their WhatsApp statuses, and emailing it to friends. And it's really chavu the isli. People telling each other about it, and it's been a tremendous um, growth. We're doing hundred shiurim already, so it's almost a little bit over two years. So it's you know been tremendous. So again, for anybody who's uh, here for the first time every Sunday night we do this uh, at 9 30 at night and if anybody wants to be part of it and you get uh, every Sunday I send up the flyers you can whatsapp me at 848-525-0066 and save the number and every Sunday I send up the flyers post it put it around appreciate it anybody who's going to watch this later on YouTube the replay you can please click on the like button to coach Menachem and subscribe so every Monday morning that's when he uploads it around 2 30 a.m you get a ding and you get to see the share live and uh, it's been unbelievable. So again, let's thank all our advertising sponsors for promoting us every week. The Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood. Ravi and Inif Chazak. I appreciate them for always promoting it. I, I, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central. It's a website that's been also promoting it. And also we have a new website um, called Jersey Link. They've been rewriting the articles, uh, 22 articles. And uh, they've been rewriting the year. And so it's definitely growing. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Sommer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. Uh, OK Clarity is also, uh, the Coach Renachman Show is also collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. On OKClarity.com, you can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engagement forums. Stay inspired. And the links will be sent out at the end of the show. I wanted to mention also that um, not, not this year, not Rosh Hashanah, but a lot of the other shirim we did about, I think it was about 30 something shirim that had therapists that are certified to get CE credits. Anybody who is a mental health professional, you need to get 36 credits per year to keep the license. They could actually watch this show and get some of the credits. Anybody has any interest, please go to corewellceu.com slash get real or email them at support at corewellceu.com. And again, for anybody who's here the first time, um, Anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, um, we do the shir here. Baruch Hashem, we never really miss a Sunday night. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we're doing great. Next Sunday, we have an amazing shir. Shlema, May 8th, with Rabbi Binyamin Weinrib. He's the rov of Owen Mordechai, Mordi Stiebel over here in, in the Toms River, New Jersey. He's also a rov of Natalia Mordi Stiebel, through Rabbanim over there. Rabbi Weinrib is a Talmud of Yeshiva Philadelphia, Yerushalayim. And he's a Talmud Muvik, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz of Yerushalayim. And um, he's going to be having an amazing topic. Three, the three keys to staying connected as we mature, as we remain passionate about Yiddishkeit, as we start going to work and leaving seminary, as we start going through those 30, 40 with the process. Um, so he has a whole thing on that. So please join us next week. It should be amazing. Um, again, tonight we have the schus and the honor of having world famous Shlomer Ella. It should be very honest with you. 
I, I met Rishlam a while ago, but uh, I didn't know how popular he was until uh, I started promoting that he's coming on, and then I'm seeing him getting all over the place. He's really, uh, he's really out there. So Davis uh, just sets this program, not me. So uh, obviously Davis wanted to share 100. So appreciate that. Tonight is share 100. I came up with the gematria. I'm sorry, I counted on you, but tonight I came up with it. The gematria of 100, I came up with Yoifi, Yud Pei, Yud, which is beauty, lovingness, renown, all, all the things we want our children to have. So that should be the point of the chair. It should be the gematria, Yoifi, the things that we want to put into our kids. And uh, before I give it to Coach Menachem to the opening, I just want to say after 100 trium, we're doing this. Um, I personally have seen tremendous Yata Deshmaya in the show, tremendous God's work in the guests, the, the things, I mean, the stories that me and Menachem have. We have to write a book. We're writing a book about the shirim. All the, all the shirim are writing a synopsis, it's like five to eight pages of every shir for a book. So we're up to shir 100, up to the middle of the third book already. The first book didn't come out. But we have to write a book about the shir, about how things happened. We had so many stories of how this person came on on this time and this this happened and had some crazy stories. And uh, maybe we should get into it, Menachem. What are you talking about? We should get into some stories? No. <laughs> But uh, we'll get into it. It's been really amazing. And Baruch Hashem, we will thank everybody for coming and joining. And we want to keep on growing it. And the, the speakers we have coming up on the topics are getting better and better. It's going l'choyel l'choyel. So I'm going to give it over to Coach Menachem on Shir 100. Uh, first, Zogat is about the Shir number one. Number two, what are we talking about tonight? Menachem. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do want to welcome everyone back after Pesach. And to tremendous feedback we got from official Shechter. Just a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, just a little bit of insight to help everyone, everyone in their seder, everyone in their pesach, their situation. Uh, we're all different. We all will have different circumstances, and the feedback, the feedback was really, really positive. And yes, tonight we have this chis to have Reb Shloimeh Erlach, and it is um, uh, one number one hundred to share one hundred. And I think it is time to stop and reflect, which uh, I, I would say everybody involved in this, I don't think we we'd even dreamt that this is where we're gonna be and what it looks like. It's really phenomenal, the feedback. It's just amazing to see how, how many people, just getting the information, a little bit of awareness, how it goes so far and all around the world, places where I don't even know how to pronounce, those places and uh, they're eating all over or people that get um, feedback, email from all over the place. And um, it, 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 it is a time to say thank you, Hashem, just to thank him to that he made us the shliach to be the ones to put together this platform, to bring the speakers, the people that have the knowledge to the people that need it. And the, basically that's what it is, just a little bit like a shatran. You bring together the people that have the information, people that need it, and then they reach out and they get the help and the need they need the, the help they need. And the goal is that we should all get what we need to to grow, come closer, Mitz Hashem, and uh, reach our our tachlis, our mission on this world. So tonight, tonight we're going to be speaking about. It's basically chinuch, but not really regular it's even when there's a lot of challenges going on so the truth is chinuch itself would take um a few courses you know to every child is different even in the regular home 
in a loving home, to understand each child, to understand the spouse, how every, everybody deals with or every different situation. Now, when there's challenges in the house, whether it's, it doesn't have to be divorce, it could be um, health, it could be a parent is not available, maybe a sibling can be in the hospital and parents are just not available. Sometimes they're not available physically, emotionally, the child doesn't get what they need growing up. And that, that can be hard. And I know that Shlomo has a lot of experience with a lot of different situations. And uh, an hour and a half, two hours, probably not enough. But we'll be able to discuss a little bit of ideas, insights. And many of us sitting over here, looking back, it could be you went through when you were young, maybe one of your parents uh, weren't available and to see how it affected, how it affects us. And now when we're older, taking care of our kids and to see what triggers, the triggers we have because of the way we grew up. And it's all very important. The awareness is very important because that is number one, step number one to figure out what do I need to do? What, why am I doing what I'm doing? What can I do different to understand my child or myself, my spouse? all starts with the awareness. So I believe tonight, that's what we're going to get a little bit of awareness. I mean, it's Hashem. And we sh it should be with a lot of siyata deshmaya. And everybody should be able to take out what they need in their situation, in their life, to help their kids. And obviously ourselves. Many of us think, you know, me, my, my, my marriage, no. It is what it is. But at least my kids, at least my kids should get the... the, the, the what, what's needed so when they grow up and they should be able to have healthy marriages. But the real, the real truth is that it starts off with ourselves and to look at ourselves, see what where we are and what can I do to make things a little bit easier and then go to the kids. So it should be with a lot of atzlocha and the mitzvah shem, a lot of siyata, the shmaya, agoris and shkoyach. Beautiful opening. Again, tonight, sure, for everybody who's just joining in, tonight we're talking about how to raise your children. Today's day and age to prepare them for marriage, especially when dealing with difficult family circumstances, situations. Um, I just wanted to say a friend of mine, is, uh, somebody who's very close with us, a resident dating coach, Sasha Gordon, is offering a free five-day program for women on how to find your soulmate. Anybody you know who's single or, you know, in the parasha, she's offering a free five-day workshop. Uh, it's an event not to miss. Menachem emailed it out in today's email channel, sent another email uh, with the newsletter with all the information. You could sign up for free. And um, I think it's a great thing for anybody who's looking for a shidduch for a woman. And uh, please look out for that email. If anybody wants to sign up for the emails, go to menachembarenfield.com to sign up for the website. Um, again, we have Shoshlema Erlich. Before we start, Shoshlema, are you ready to go on the fire? Are we ready? Are we ready before ready. we start? So I'm going to read Shoshlema's uh, bio, and then um, the floor is his. Shoshlema Erlich. The relationship as expert in areas of marriage, parents, and struggling children, business partners, Ben Adam Le'atzmoy, is a motiv motivational speaker, lecturer, and founder of various organizations that service unique niches of the Klal. Shlema, I, I know we spoke about it before, but before you even open, just give a little, a little bit of who you are and the different things you deal with, and then open it up. Let's get it going. All right. Shalom to all. Uh, thank you, Coach Menachem and Asher, for giving me the privilege of sharing some of my experience and knowledge that I have in this field. And I, I, I accepted this, this opportunity because I wanted to share 
I feel it's a, a very important and it's a growing topic, a growing subject that we need so much, so many more people in our communities are faced with uh, so many challenges and especially raising our children towards marriage and especially when it comes to, uh, to uh, single home parenting or remarriage cases, which we'll get into later. About myself, how do I talk about myself? <laughs> okay, um, first of all, I, I, I run a few different organizations which have to do with, uh, uh, one of them is called Achimederich, which is an organization for divorced men. It's mainly in the Hasidic and Haimsha communities. We have over 500 divorced men at the moment in our, in our system, which is just from New York, New York, New Jersey. And uh, being as an expert myself, I, I, I talk to them and we, we give speeches and we make different gatherings. We make Shabbatons and uh, we try to help them uh, towards getting remarried and help them heal uh, before they get remarried, obviously. And my wife is very involved in an organization called Sister to Sister, which is an organization for divorced women. And um, we have been invited for many Shabbatons from Sister to Sister. I myself have spoken over there to hundreds of divorced women. I've had the privilege to do that many, many times. And we spoke to them. Uh, I spoke to them one-on-one -on -one with so many people. And this is like the field that I'm very into. And besides, in general, chinuch, in healthy chinuch, a regular chinuch, I'm very involved in different yeshivas, local yeshivas, which the Menahalim and staff reach out to me to discuss uh, uh, different challenges they have with, with the teens. So this is something that, that, that I do every single day, basically, morning to night. These are the subjects. So it's basically teenagehood, parenting, marriage, remarriage, and... On a daily basis, I'm, I'm very, very involved in, uh, in Shalom Ba'is, the way we call it, marriage counseling. And actually, I'm finishing now a book, which I wrote on, uh, on Shana Rishayna, on the first year of marriage, which I want to very soon, hopefully, it's going to be out. And, and uh, we do different things. I'm involved in, uh, in a yeshiva. Barry Weber is a famous singer. He has a yeshiva for, for the Hasidic boys that are struggling. And uh, I'm involved over there. In their chinuch, whenever they have difficulties, I, I'm involved in the uh, in the meetings when it comes to dealing with the teens. And I'm there once a week, every Thursday. I go to the bachrim. I sit one on one with these boys. These are children. These are holy neshamas that are struggling with very different things of the challenges of today's world, which is uh, substance or abuse or, uh, or life, technology or whatever it is. And many of them come from from uh, regular homes, and many of them come from difficult homes. But it's equally, and uh, so I have a lot of experience dealing with the teens at risk, and I speak at the Kesher Nafshi, which is a very famous uh, movement for parents of struggling teens. They had already six Shabbatons in the past, and I spoke by each and every one of them. I have the honor to speak there and then to have one-on-one -on -one with all the parents. So this is a very, very dire and important topic to me, and this is something that I help and guide many parents dealing with their struggling teens and this is equally coming from regular homes i need to do that because <laughs> and uh and and homes from from divorced or separated or single or or, or even orphans it's it, there's many the psychology is the same for every human it's just the circumstances are sometimes different and therefore we need to to customize it or to 
but uh, you know, to, to bring it into according to the circumstance. But at the end of the day, every person is made up of the same uh, wants and needs, and uh, and therefore it, it's 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 quite similar. Um, I think that later on in the in the in the uh, in the uh, in the session today, we'll get into more complicated uh, questions of people and more complicated um, situations. Uh, what people are having uh, when it comes to raising their children. But I think in general, just to start, Asher, I hope it's okay with you and Coach Menachem. I, I think that um, in general, today's days, in 2022, when we come, when we raise our children, we all put in so much time and effort and koyach to raise our children, to go through school, elementary, and then high school, and all the difficulties they're going through. And, and we, we invest so much money and time and, and everything. What, what, what don't we do for our children? And what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that these children should be able to set up their own home, their own life, to get married. So when it comes to marrying off our children, so many times today's days, there's so many struggles and we look around and we see there are the, uh, the divorce rate is way higher than it used to be in all of our communities, which is Hasidish, modern Orthodox, and, and, and everybody in between or before and after. It's all kinds of communities. All of us are struggling these days with many, many uh, marital issues and divorce or just time struggles. And everybody's asking the question, hopefully everybody should be asking the question, what could I put into my child that my child should be successful in a relationship when they get married in their relationships with their spouse? I think that if we ask that question when they are younger, it's gonna be so much more effective and there's so many things. That, that I would like to share with you. And I wrote down a list of a few very, very important things, which is across the board, I think is very important to, uh, for all of us to, to try to implement and to put into, into our children and into our homes and, and whatever we can share with our kids. I think that the reason why I want to talk about this, why, why I'm starting it this way, is because whenever you want to, you want to buy a, a um, whenever you want to deal with something, you want to first talk to people that are dealing with it, the people that are fixing it. So let's say one wants to buy a used car. That, that's a, you want to buy a used car, okay? You go to your car dealer and he tells you this is a, a five-year-old car. It's a, uh, it's a Chevy Malibu. Okay, fine. I don't know if the car still exists, but yeah, a Chevy Malibu. It just shows my age, maybe. <laughs> so uh, you go to the, you want to know if it's a good car. He says, it's a great car. It's fine. You go to a mechanic that, that, that deals with Chevys and you ask a year that, that was made in, in 2018, let's say, the Chevy Malibus, did you have any problems with them? Did people come in with them? And he could say, you know what? Chevy Malibu generally is a very good car, but those few years, it had way too many issues with the, with the, uh, with the motor, with the engine, with, the, with whatever it is. So you know that this is, so who do you talk to? You talk to the people that are fixing problems. They are the ones that really know what's going on. You could walk into a shul, you could walk into a grocery, you could walk down the street and you can see people, they look amazing and people are smiling and nice, hopefully they're smiling and it's all very good. But if you really want to know if someone is in or, or what the issues of the generation is today, you need to talk to people that are fixing, people that are out there fixing the problems. So I believe that me, people like myself or other people that are doing what I'm doing should be sharing with the public what we see, the problems in marriage, so we know what to tell parents, what, how they should help their children avoid these issues later on when they get married. This is something 
that I want to share because I see so many times people come in, there's a few common issues that happen in, in so many marriages. I'm not talking about marriages that need to get divorced. I'm not talking about extreme cases. I'm talking even general. For instance, across the board, I'm, I'm, I'm working with couples already over 15 years, probably more. And this, it's such a common issue where, where are the two main intersections, the way I call it, the main, two main roads where the couple clash. It usually happens when it has to do with money. Where should we spend? Should we spend? Who is in charge of the money? Who should, who should pay for what? Who decides should we pay for our daughter for seminary or we should put down a down payment for the house? If she is making the money, should she give him the money and he should spend it where he wants or she has her bank account and he has his bank account? He's the one responsible for the house or maybe she's responsible for the house because she makes more money than him. The, all these kind of issues when it comes to money, monetary, there is... This is where so many couples, even couples that have more or less a good marriage, this is where they, I'm not talking about on a daily basis, when it comes to shopping anything extra or spending something, there's so many, and, it, and it's, and the marriage could be flowing and nice, and the moment it comes to something like, you know, so that's, so money is one of the main issues, which I think that, and uh, I, which I think that people need to um, discuss more often and have an open conversation with their spouse. There should be an official meeting how are we in our marriage that both of us are comfortable with? How are we spending the money? How should, who should be, where's the money going? Who's, you know, anything about money, which maybe we'll get into it more details. I have six, six different uh, uh, methods, which I think, uh, which I like to put out to couples and the couples could choose different, many different ways, which it works for different people. And the second thing for now, which is a very uh, important topic, which, which, which is also across the board in most marriages, is when it comes to chinuch, when it comes to raising our children. This is the place where it always ends up, you know, it, 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 this is where, where problems happen. She screams at the child, and he says, why are you screaming? It should have been nice. And tomorrow he screams, and she says, you should have been nice. Or your, your discipline method is too strong, or you're too weak. Or there's so many issues happening between these two main topics, which is across the board. Um, and I think that in, 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 in if we have difficult children, if we have problems, we have a teen that it's, that, that's starting to, to show some signs of uh, defiance or whatever it is, and the parents go bizarre and everybody goes their own direction. Instead of the challenge of the child should bring together the couple, let's work at it as a team. Let's get closer through working through this challenge they become the opposite they start fighting and they start because because everybody's screaming above the other or arguing over the other and and nothing is happening there is there is this is so common and obviously this is happening in and and people that are divorced or separated this is like way <laughs> and 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 on the topic of divorce i think that um i i find something so i'm gonna use the word ironic um so many people we know, we as parents, we're gonna go into fire for our children. Parents are gonna do everything in the world to save their child. We've seen it throughout history. Mothers threw themselves in the, in the, in the, in the burning buses in Yerushalayim, I remember years ago, to save their child. Fathers throughout, parents do everything for their children until it comes to divorce. What happened? They got divorced, they're getting divorced. So now 
the children have to suffer. What happened to the Rahmanas of the mother? What happened to the Rahmanas of the father and the children? This is such a common issue. It's, it's, it's ironic, it's bizarre. It doesn't make sense where people are, are ready to do everything in the world for their child. But when they're angry at their spouse or their ex-spouse, they're going to spite their ex-spouse through their children. And I see this again and again and again and again. And, and, and we see this in, throughout the divorced women and divorced men equally. This is something that I understand and the gears come in and pain comes in. But this is something that people need to start really, really, really put ourselves on the side even if we're very, very, very angry, and even if it's legitimate, not to get our children involved in this whole, in the crossfire. They are suffering. They are suffering. Really, we should interview hundreds of people that are young married couples or teenagers that come from divorced homes, and they're going to tell you their stories. It's going to be Mamasha Tishabov, if you're going to listen to them, how much pain they have when their parents got divorced, their parents suddenly. It's no karachim of abonim. It's no karachim of abonim means both parents. It's it. What happened? What happened to both parents? It's over. But I don't know. It's just the way it is. For some reason, people are not able to put themselves aside to save their children after divorce. Before divorce, they'll do everything in the world. But that's a conversation on its own, I guess. But I definitely want to bring it to our attention. This is something that we need to definitely we need to talk about. <laughs> and. Should I, should I continue with my introduction, uh, Asher? Yeah, 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 just, just reflect and try to stay still with the chair, if you don't mind. People are saying that it's too much movement. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Good. But continue. <laughs> Let me know when you're done, because we're ready to grill you. Don't worry. I'm good, I'm good. I'm ready, ready. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say a, a few more things. I think that, um, in general, if we want to marry off a child, regardless of the background, regardless of the home, regardless of the type of home, regardless of who's raising the child, the father, the mother, both, the grandparents. If a child gets married, means that we finished our job in Chinuch. Now the child is ready to be totally independent and being able to get married on their own, to create their own life, their own house, and, and, and everything in between, and everything after. I think that all of us, humans, we all need to go through different phases, different stages in life in order we should be ready to get married. So a baby is born, a newborn is totally dependent on the parents, on the mother for food, for diaper change, for everything, emotionally, physically, everything. As the child grows older, the child turns two years old. We call it the difficult twos, right? All of us have two-year-olds. The two-year-olds are are, are defined, they're throwing tantrums because they will say, I'm independent, I'm on my own, I don't need mommy anymore, I don't need tati anymore. But then they, they, they realize that you do need them, maybe in a different way, you don't need them to, you can go to the bathroom on your own, but you need them for everything else. Once we go through the, very, the independent stage, we try to, we, we as children, we as humans go through becoming independent. We start, which is, it's on all levels, it's on mental, emotional, physical, and everywhere, social, whatever we need, we start becoming more and more independent. Independent stage is something which is a very vital for, uh, for a person's development in order they should be able to get interdependent when they get married. I'll explain. 
if a child goes through the, if, if a person goes through the, from adolescence of teenagehood, and they are very controlled by their parents, are very controlled by people around them, they do not really have the ability to be totally independent, at least according to that stage of their life. They're going to have a big issue later when they get married. We see a lot of boys, I'm going to give a very vague uh, example, but this came to my head first. Like when it comes to technology, we see so many young boys and, and girls that, that grow up in, in very Hasidic from homes and, and or stringent homes, and they never saw or touched any computer or anything, and then they get married. Nobody's controlling them anymore. They become addicted to things. And the same thing with everything else. I think that uh, I, I have a certain method, which I call controlled choices. In order a person should become a healthy, independent person, we need to give them choices, of course, according to their age. So let's say a five-year-old child, you give them choices that fit their stage. If your child, you cannot, many people control the kids what they should wear every day, let's say. So you could take a six-year-old, a five-year-old child and say, you could put on this, this shirt or this shirt, choose one of these two. So you're not giving them an open option. They can do whatever they want. They'll go with pajamas to school. No, you're the parent and you're telling them what they could wear, but you're giving them options. So they're going to choose between A or B or C. When they get older, you, give, you open up a little more. You give them a little more choices. You give them more options according to whatever fits according to their stage. So what happens is they learn how to make choices. One of the greatest things of today's days where we're living in, we have to make so many choices in our life. We are faced from the minute, from the how many ketchups. <laughs> you go into a grocery these days, you have, I don't know, 12 different companies of ketchup or mayonnaise. There's choices every minute of every day that we need to make. This one is more expensive, but this one has more. This is less expensive. What's smarter shopping? What, what's smarter to shop for? What, what's, what's a better option to buy? And we have much more choices on friends, on social interactions. We have much more choices in Yiddishkeit. And so many, in every aspect of our lives, we have so many choices to make. Every minute of every day, mamish, we have to make choices. So I think the greatest gift you could give your children before they get married is to teach them how to make choices. And what happens is when you give them the options of making choices, of course, according to their age, according to, you're not just letting them free and do whatever they want, according to their age. Let's say I, I had with my children now in Pesach, I'm gonna, a personal. I told my kids, they wanted to ask for Afi and very, very, he wanted a bike because she wanted a, a, a whatever they wanted. I said, how about we're gonna give a certain amount of money for all of you and we're gonna take you to this toy store and all of you could choose whatever you want in the toy store for this price, for this amount. We went with the children, of course, right away, right after Yomtev, we took them to the toy store, my wife took them. So they have a certain amount of money. Let's say we gave them $35, okay? And each child could choose whatever they want to buy for the $35. It could, see, it could sound simple, but the child, I don't come and buy him whatever I feel is good for the child. I let him choose. So we help them make smart choices. So what do we do? So my wife was telling the child, okay, I want to buy this. I want to buy that. So my wife says, you can buy whatever you want. But if you buy toy A, this is going to last for just about two days. And then you're not going to have it anymore. And you're not going to enjoy it. It looks exciting. It's a type of toy which you're going to get very quickly bored. The other toy is maybe not so exciting. Doesn't seem so exciting, but you'll, 
it's probably going to last a half a year. <laughs> Hopefully. It's probably going to last a half a year. You could choose whatever you want. So one child chose the toy that lasted two days. Two days later, it was gone. It was broken. We are not going to give the child another $35 to buy something else. The child just learned. They made a choice. They, got, they had the consequences. They learned that if I buy this, you always have to, you have to think ahead. You have to think about long-term pleasure, not short-term pleasure. And, and, and this is a very small example, but this is throughout life. This is even later with, with, with my Bachar Shiva and my teenage girl. We constantly do different types of things where we help them and we explain to them, if you do choice A or choice B, it's going to be up to you. But th these are the options we give you. You could choose between these options. What happens is you're giving a great gift to your child that could make very, very smart choices. I think another thing that I want to, think is very important to put into our children is the idea of of Yiddishkeit I think that Yiddishkeit is something that uh, we need to talk about it I need to bring it up it has to be discussed we are living in a day and age where uh, the world is very open and it comes through and it penetrates even into our very insular communities questions on Yiddishkeit and, and, and which is amazing which is good they should ask questions I think that Conversations need to be at home about Yiddishkeit. This is something which is very, very important. And this is also very helpful for marriage because I find there is a very big percentage of marriages that struggle, not Dafka that get divorced, that struggle. A lot of women are struggling with their husbands going through their stages and, and, and vice versa. Obviously, it's the other way around as well, where, where they're going through the Yiddishkeit identity after they get married because they're living free and suddenly they start asking a lot of questions and they get very confused of, of Messiah, Minhagim, Halacha. They don't know what is what. All these things in the olden days, the olden days. <laughs> and 30, 40 years ago, it, it was a different world. People were more insular. I don't know. People didn't ask questions. There's a lot of theories why it was like that. But today, children ask questions and we need to encourage questions and we need to have open conversations about Hashkafa outlook on life and outlook on Yiddishkeit because we cannot wait uh, for them to become uh, after their chasana, after they get married, because a lot of them think there are no answers and a lot of them go through very turbulent times and the spouse usually is suffering terrible. And I think the percentage of Yiddishkeit issues in marriages are way larger, maybe bigger than, than, than many of our Rabbanim or people that are involved, uh, that are uh, on, on the, uh, in the leadership don't really realize maybe how, how far it's going. And I think that this is, this is something that so many people suffer at home quietly or they come to me or they go to someone else and they, and they, they cry their heart out how, how they're struggling with their spouse when it comes to Yiddishkeit and Ashkafa. So I think that we cannot rely that our children know and it's all gonna be good. We need to have conversation. I personally grew up in a house where I was very lucky in that way that my father was, uh, was Rabbi Victor Miller. My father, I remember, was still the cassettes. It wasn't the CDs before. I mean, now CDs is out old-fashioned. It was, it was the cassettes. And we, my father's whole car was all over. We always used to, we used to fight with him. Tati, put on music. I'm not interested. <laughs> but he, he pushed it down our throat, basically, in a loving way. But he was very into it. So naturally, he was always thinking. And he was always talking. And we had debates. And we had conversation. So I remember when I went to yeshiva in Etzisrael when I was a teenager and I had a friend over there that was very challenging with Yiddishkeit 
and his outside he looked ultra ultra Hasidish, but he was had and and I was I was I was the one that made him from you know I was the one that answered all his questions it was amazing I remember he was my first Balchuva <laughs> that I had because he was uh, he had so many questions he grew up in a home where parents assume that Yiddishkeit is just a given I want you to know that the Heilige Chofetz Chaim the Chofetz Chaim said why do we say by Shemana Esrei Elokeinu Elokeini Velokei Vesaini why do we say Elokeini our Hashem our God, and Hashem is the, the, the God of our forefathers, of our parents. He said it should have been the other way around. We are Jewish because our parents were Jewish and they gave it over to us. So it should have been and then So it's interesting. When I talk English, I, I switch my Habura to instead of Elokeini. I don't know why that is. <laughs> In any case, so he says, the Halik Chavitz Chaim says, he says, no, it's true that you're a Yid. Because you took Yiddishkeit from your parents. But you need to go through it on your own. It has to be a lekaini. Man bashef, man got. I know why I'm a Jew. I know I know why I need to keep the Torah. And then, of course, I got it from my parents. And it's inherited all the way up to Matan Torah. So this is something that we need to live with. Today's days even more so. It's very vital and very important that we... Yiddishkeit needs to be a very... Rabbi Vigdemil is one out of hundreds... And, and many people don't like certain things he says. It's okay. There are so many different hashkafes and so many different, you know, I, I personally like a lot. There are so many, you could go down, Leo Dessler, I believe that you could go down hundreds and take a safer and, and, and of course make it exciting and encourage conversations. I always say that my Shabbos table is Pesach Seder every single week. I encourage all my children. I have two married children already, Baruch Hashem. From my married children to my little ones, which my youngest is five, and everybody between, I encourage them to ask me questions. They could ask me all week, but Shabbos is my time. And 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 we 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 have discussions. I wanna, I wanna, I think I'll conclude with this. It's on this topic. Um, in the 1970s, there was uh, in Etzisrael, in Israel, there was a Mifaked, it's a general, an Israeli general in the army, and he said. I do not let any Chabad boy come into my, into my, my group. There was a Chabad Skebacher that was joining the army. He was a Lubavitch. I don't know somehow he was joining the army. And he said, I don't let you into my group. You can't come in. And they asked him why. Well, why do you care? He says, let me tell you why. The last time I brought in a Lubavitch Shabacher in my group, the whole group became from. I don't want my whole group to become from. How many of us are able to say, that if my child is going to go tomorrow to the army, chaz v'shalom, is my child going to make everybody from, or my child is going to go over the derech? This is a very big question that we need to ask ourselves. I remember there was a story uh, many years ago when I was a teenager. My uncle told me at the time this story that happened at that time. He told me he has a friend that got divorced. It was a chassidish guy in Barapak, got divorced from his wife. His wife went off the derech. But of the derech, not of the derech classy, of the derech hippie. She moved to some farm place in Texas, some kind of a, a motorcycle group, uh, uh, um, um, I don't know, camp or something with tattoos all over her body. And they had one child. So they were in court. She wanted to take her child with her, a boy. It was a nine-year-old boy. She wanted to take him with her over there to that camp. And he went to court, obviously. He was fighting her. He wanted to have the child because he didn't want his child to become 
a hippie, a guy, a drug addict, or who knows what. So he went to court, and the law in, in New York is if you, the children need to remain the same religious status after the divorce the way they were before. So either one of the parents change religion, the other one keeps the child. So the court paskins that the child, the nine-year-old boy, could stay by his father. He does not have to live with his mother because she changed. But this is only until age 15 or 16. I don't remember what it was. But after 16, the child could go back to the mother. So this guy has his child. He has a few more years to go with this boy. And he knows that this boy is going to go live in Texas in this, in this, in this very, uh, in, in, in that place. So what did he do with his child? Imagine you, all of you, anybody listening, imagine you would have a child that has five years with you or four years with you, a nine-year-old kid. And by the age 14, 15 is going to be exposed to the lowest scum and garbage of the earth. And he's going to be living over there with his mother, who knows what. What would you put into your child now that your child should be strong enough to withstand all those noise and all those horrible, terrible things? I think all of us would think of, first of all, our relationship with that child would be so strong. We would become buddies with our child and, and really be involved in all his friends and their names and his life. And he should love you so much that when he goes to Texas, he'll be in contact with you on a daily basis. He's going to love you. That's number one. What else would you do with that child? You would put in Yiddishkeit as such a beauty. You would give him Jewish pride. You'd give him Torah pride. You would give him everything you can. You would put into that child and everything else that follows. I think all of us, all of us are, are in that same situation nowadays. All of us need to put into our children so much love and connection and Yiddishkeit and, and, and normalcy and decency and morality, whatever we can to put into our child now because our children are going to be exposed sooner or later. It's, if, it's, if you're lucky, it's going to happen after the chasana. And, if, and like, if you're not lucky, like most of us, they're going to be exposed to many, many things that we were not exposed at that age prior to marriage. And so if this is the case, we all need to buckle up. We all need to start putting into our children such a love for normalcy, such a love for Yiddishkeit, for everything else, in order they should be able to face the world later on when they get married, when they're really free, and nobody's going to be telling them what to do. And they're going to be exposed to so many different uh, uh, situations. I just want to tell you that I had a, a, a someone called me, a woman called me from from Brooklyn, from Williamsburg, she called me last week and she was mamish, mamish crying. She was saying that her husband, she married the nicest guy in the world and everything is amazing. And he got himself, uh, he, he got exposed to the internet and different stuff and he was searching on social media. And now he has questions on Yiddishkeit. Questions. So he, he started saying it's all baloney, everything that I was, he got, he got right away. You know, some people when they have questions, they turn it into conclusions. <laughs> so he turned it into conclusions. And he's, it must be Yiddishkeit is not right. And, and so I said, no problem. If, he, if he's willing or ready to talk to me, I'm, I'm ready. So she got him on the phone with me. We made an appointment and I, and I was talking to him. And, and he said that it started, that he had questions on Kabbalah and Yiddishkeit. And, and, and all kinds. it started off that, that, that the Zoyer is not right. And this is not right. And the Rizal, he was going through all. And then later he said that the whole Yiddishkeit. <laughs> So I, I broke it down. We started going into, number one, is there Hashem? And then is there Torah? We, we went through everything. 
And I remember he wasn't even such a deep thinker at all. I was, I was prepared. I was rolling up my sleeves. I was ready to get into very philosophical proof that Hashem exists and Yiddishkeit and everything else. And I realized it's not even so deep. It was just that he was, he was so confused and he didn't know how to handle all this openness to the world and all these questions and all this. So it just put in so much doubt in him. And I think at the end of the, at the end of the conversation, he said, okay, I see you have answers. There's answers to everything. I'm okay. <laughs> he didn't even have the answers. He didn't want to understand the questions. I remember I was on by the Kaisel when I was a teenager. I was, uh, my, my mother's first cousin is Rabbi Mati Berger from Eishat Taira. Very great guy, brilliant, brilliant man in Eishat Taira. So when I was a teenager, I used to go a lot to Eish and I, there was still also the cassette, the audio I used to take out every Friday, six or seven tapes. And I used to listen to them on different topics in Yiddishkeit every week. And I used to return in the library. Kitsa, so I was very involved over there. So one of the things I did, uh, you know, I was a teenager, I had some energy and I decided, you know what? I used to go every, every uh, Sunday morning to the Kaisel. And I went, I was standing by the Chabad uh, where they put on the film. And I decided just putting out film is not enough. I'm going to put on film. I'm going to start talking to them. And I'm going to do more than just putting out film. And, and that's how I, I, Baruch Hashem, I, I managed to get quite a few people. Uh, Eishat Torah had every Sunday um, a project inspired. There were, there were all kinds of courses in Yiddishkeit. And I got them to, to go to the course, and many of them became from in that way. So I was like, Baruch Hashem. So I remember once there was a, I was putting on film on this uh, American, uh, you know, young, you know, and he said, you want to put out film on me? Let me ask a question about God. So I said, sure, throw it on me. <laughs> so he said, uh, I remember this question, and I answered him, a very vague answer. And he said, oh, okay. And he walked away. I said, why did I answer you? What was that? No, I, I, I saw you know the answer. That's good. <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was a very deep philosophical question. I don't know if I should share it now, but it was a very deep question. And, and most people that don't have, <laughs> we get so confused with the answer, so confused with. But for him, it was, it was good. It was okay. It was good to go. In any case, I think that, uh, I think that's all okay. I want to say for now. Well, I guess. Let's, let's jump in now. Let's let's okay, do, let's take a poll. Take a breath. We're gonna take a poll from the crowd. We got a lot of people sending emails. Again, everybody who's here tonight, you have Shlomo Erlich here. He has a lot of experience in uh, in all facets in raising children, especially in difficult situations, which he's very, very familiar with. We'll get into it. And um, everybody has a question, please text Usher Parnas over here on the screen. Let's ask a poll. Let's get the oil warmed up. Here we go. You ready? Two questions. First question: What would be the greatest chinuch to give you to give our children to set them up for a successful marriage? Three choices. Number one, showing and giving them, again, from all, they're, they're all three good answers. Just choose the, the one that you would choose. Showing and giving them a loving and secure home. Option B, support them through the dependent and self-independent stages. It means you're, you're there through the, the baby stages, through the adult stages, the teenage stages. And number three, have real open communications, whatever is going on in their life. Those are the three choices. From those three, which ones would you choose? Second question is, this is the best question, you ready? The million dollar question. What do you think is the greatest cause for the greatest cause for divorce in today's generation? Number one, the schwiger, the mother-in-law, basically means like family issues that cause the divorce. Number two, mental or emotional illness. Or number three, the shit should never happen in the first place. There's no chemistry. They get they're young, they get married, they don't know what they're doing. They're not they're not like waiting till like they're 52, 60, they have life figured out, and that's when you make a shit. So from those two questions, give the answers, give you five seconds. Shlomo will share the, the answer dialogue, and then we'll jump into questions. And again, I encourage everybody to please ask. There's so much to everything you said. This is like this is like we, we could have like 20 shirim on this on, 
Wait, 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 you open the door. Okay, let's go. Five seconds. Five. Okay, let's end it. Let's share with everybody. Okay, the first question was, what would you? What would be the greatest connect to give our children to set them up for a successful marriage? Shalom is 60% of the people feel showing and giving them a loving and secure home is the best way to set them up for a successful marriage. Only 8% feel support them through the dependent and self-independent times. 32% have a real and open communication about whatever was going on in their life. You want to comment anything on this? Um, I, I think all three of them are true, but I think that so many people are not able to raise the children in a secure uh, home. So I, I think that people that don't have, uh, people that have single parenting homes still have the ability to create a very, uh, to raise a very healthy, independent person. I, I'm going to go with the 8%. I wow. think that, uh, or maybe, or maybe we, we we all have a different understanding of what exactly that means. There, to be self. To, so explain to it. Be self, explain it. What does it mean? What does it what mean? Does it mean? I, I think it's a little bit of what I said before. I think that um, if someone is in, an independent being, an independent uh, person, they're able to face life, whatever comes. So it's very hard to create an independent person. Of course, they need to have a loving and secure home. That if you don't have that, then it penetrates everything else. But obviously, if they get love and care from their parents, they feel they feel that the parents love them and care for them. The but what they need after that, the main things what they need is to grow and independent to be able to get married. I always say say that um, if you cannot live alone, you cannot live with someone else. Let me explain. Of course, it's not comfortable to live alone. We choose to want to live with a partner. We need a partner for many different things. But if you cannot live alone. Take care of yourself alone. I'm not talking about some, someone that's that's physically not healthy. I'm saying an, an, a healthy person should be able to live alone. It's not comfortable. I don't want to. I want to share my life. Therefore, I choose a partner and I'm ready to give in and 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 have a, a healthy relationship with someone. But I need to be independent. I need to be able to be a, a person of my own. Because if someone is very dependent on others and they get married, they become, it's like a codependency on their spouse and the spouse can't handle it. Many people get married and they hang on their spouse a little too much and, and their spouse, instead of getting closer to them, they run away because they can't handle it. So, of course, we, we want our spouse to be dependent on us and men, of course, want their husbands to be a little more, their, their wives to be a little more dependent on them than, than vice versa. There, there's always going to be a tiny, uh, you know, but in general, a person has to be able to live alone in order to be able to get married again. That, that's so therefore I think it's very important to be a healthy independent person so that that's why I would choose that over the other ones but obviously the all, all three of them are very very important let's let's just, get to the second question I'll just Can add you... just a second Rashi. Mm -hmm. I'll just add for a second um to feel support the real support is basically getting love from somewhere it might not be a secure home but it's getting love from somewhere and many oh. people have shared that could be a teacher there was one person in their life who was able to be there and give them that love. And with that, they were able to get gain the dependency they needed to continue yeah. life. So and someone believed in them. Yep. Yeah, the second question was, what do you think is the greatest cause for divorce in today's generation? Only 6% um, six, six yeah. of people said only the sugar and the family issues. By far, everybody feels mental and emotional illnesses. 
70% only said should have, should have never happened. So I'm going to exit out of the screen. You can close it on your screen, just exit. Um, what do you say about that? So many people. Okay. Feel um, I, I think that people are answering according to their experience of what they know. Um, I have my own little uh, case studies from talking to hundreds, literally hundreds of divorced men and my wife to hundred and, and me and my wife together talking to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of divorced women. I don't think that that's true. I think that uh, the numbers are 40%, I would say, from people that I know, the shidduch should not have been in the first place. Um, again, everybody could try to live with everybody, <laughs> but it, it, it was just too much going on. And, and the shviger is a very small percentage, which is true. But for those few percentage where the shviger was an issue, shviger means, of course, obviously, shver and, and both, both in-laws. Um, family, family issues, family getting involved. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, uh, whoever suffered from that suffered terribly. But it's talking not such a big uh, percentage, and the uh, mental and emotional illness. I I, I think I want to I want to separate it a little bit. Uh, there is there is emotional issues, uh, emotional illness, and then there's emotional immaturity. Let me explain. When I talk to a person, I see their physical age, their body. I talk to someone, I assume they're about thirty five, fifty, fine. But when I talk to them a few minutes, I see where their mental age is. Some people are 30-year-old bodies. Their brain is a 15-year-old, right? And the same thing is when I see, a per- I, and there's another element that I see in a person is their emotional age, their emotional development. I find, <laughs> very painful to say what I'm going to say, that a huge percentage of people around us in the world in general, are they're, they're not in par. Their, their emotional age, uh, maturity, and their physical age do not match. And I find that a lot of people, when they get married, uh, he or she is, is five years older in their emotional age. They suffer or they, they struggle with a spouse that's emotionally not in the same level as them. So they think their spouse is emotionally ill or their spouse is crazy or their spouse is, I, five years ago, you were the same. I'm talking emotionally. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about mentally and physically. Obviously, in everything, it's the same way. But I'm talking about emotionally. So we can't. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have emotional illness, and and a lot of people have physical illness and then mental illness. Everything. I mean, the world is, is. But I think that we need to differentiate these categories of of maturity, the level of of how mature their mo- mental or emotional uh, uh, age, and it, it's it's not. The word illness is a very strong word, and um, and 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 many people get divorced because their spouse is is immature emotionally or immature mentally. It could be they'll never become if they go to a professional. Uh, if someone diagnoses the the spouse, it evaluates them and says your spouse is never going to get older than age fifteen. Then they they need to make a choice if they want to live with that spouse forever. But if they say it's going to take time, some people are late bloomers mentally. And most people are late bloomers. I said a very strong word, most. I don't know numbers, but I'm going to use the word most because I do want to say it in a strong way. Most people are not mature emotionally according to their age until a certain stage. Well, obviously, once you're a certain age and older, usually, hopefully, if you didn't develop your emotional uh, uh, intelligence until then, then forget about it. (laughs) But a lot of people get married when they're young and their spouse is not ready to... um, to, to, uh, they're not emotionally the same uh, same age. 
that are emotionally not the same age. That's all it is. Again, I'm not saying that, that you should live with someone if you're so struggling and suffering from someone that's emotionally uh, uh, 30 years younger than you. Obviously, you have to make choices. But sometimes, so I, so I, I, I would separate it. And, and uh, I don't know if you can make a poll well, again. You know, I, I'm going to agree with you. I was going to say, I just want to uh, tweak a little bit. Sometimes people are immature because life is given to them. As, but as you go through life and as they start dealing, like life matures, you know what I mean? Right. So that means that they were not like the previous answer. They were not uh, independent. Uh, their, their independence stage was not done right. Correct. They, they, they were being controlled or told what to do and told what's right. You know, I was in the glasses store. Uh, 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 you wouldn't believe it. I, there was, there was, there was a, a mother there with her son. He looked like he's at least 20 years old. And, and I heard them like they were standing behind me. And she was arguing with him which glasses he should buy. She's telling him, no, this... A 20-year-old cannot make a decision. She didn't trust him because it's too, <laughs> she was like, it's, a lady. it's too modern or it's too, too like, it was like a whole, it, it's so painful. Like, really? And, and you want to, in the guy's kind of a shidduch, in the guy's just kind of guy, you're going to go on a shidduch and I'm going to have to go with his glasses. Like, hello? <laughs> if he can't choose his glasses, why are you marrying him off to someone? You know? She's, when she's it, choosing the shidduch. What is it? She's choosing the shidduch. She's choosing the shidduch for herself or for her son. <laughs> That's very sad. Very sad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how many people are, are controlling their children after they're married, directly or indirectly. That means that you really don't trust yourself. That you did. I'm not talking about an emergency state where, where sometimes a certain child, you need to marry them off and and, 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 and of course the other side is aware of why you're doing it okay. and they're in it. Okay. Let's, I'm sorry, let's get into it, okay? We have okay. a lot of questions. We have a lot of questions. I want to. I really want to get into the crux. A lot of comments said, a lot of generals. But we wanna, I want to really get into it, okay? We have a live question. You're on first. Okay, thanks for taking my question. So you hear me, right? Yes. Okay, so my question is, it's split into first. My first part of the question is, how can we be involved in our children's lives, but not like be too involved or like too intruding or like overprotective? like still give them their privacy and their places where we don't like get involved? That's the first question. And another question is, how does a mother send off her child to school in the morning, knowing with confidence that they're gonna be secure and safe and, you know, stay like, how can a mother take the confidence to know that her child is, is, is being, I mean, safe? And, and like to, to stay away from all the dirt and from harm and from, abuse and all that okay i got a two very good questions um the first question was how to be involved in your children's life without invading their privacy or or without stepping over them that, that's that's what it is true yeah um again i think that we we need to understand their age and most uh, you have to know their mental and emotional age more than the, their body age like we said before if you know their age you're able to give them a certain independency whatever whatever makes sense you, uh, and sometimes we don't know, we can always ask an expert, but I think that uh, children at a certain age are able to make choices and they should be able to decide a lot of things in their life. And um, if you're the mother of the home and uh, anything that has to do with a family, you're allowed to step over, meaning you're allowed to say, you can't come home a certain time because I want to go to sleep and I can't fall asleep until you come home. You can't come home after a certain time, or you can't say certain words in the house that's going to destroy the, the structure of the home. 
obviously anything that has to do with the house, with the structure, that that's that that that's not stepping over them. That's that's your right. They're they're invading, uh, they're invading your privacy. They're invading your house. <laughs> so the only way you can be an effective parent if you understand and you stand your grounds and you understand what I'm not talking about a specialty chinuch now with for a child that's that, that's a kid in pain and a very I'm talking about it in general. Uh, it's it, I, I think that's that. And to your second question, how do we know to be? Uh, listen, we cannot. How to be? How to? Um, how can we send our children to school knowing that they're not going to be uh, faced with? Uh, or uh, um, uh, the question is: Are they going to be exposed, exposed to, to like exposed to, or 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 faced with? Or I I think I think that we need to uh, we need to we need to install an antivirus into the computer before the virus comes. I think that. We need to have many more conversations with our children uh, nowadays than we used to have in, in, in the past. Um, we need to talk to them about touching, obviously, and then all kinds of stuff like that. And we need to tell them and teach them, uh, um, you know, coming home from the bus and then not walking late at night to the road. These are all things that, that parents need to teach their children, but there's so much we can do. And after that, we are hidden and we believe and we understand that there's a certain amount we can do and we can't do too much. We can't be overprotective because this is going to harm the child even more because sometimes the way we deal with a problem can make more damage than the problem itself. So sometimes a parent decides that they're, they're going to be strict with this kid. They're not going to let this kid do uh, ABC. So they make a whole conversation, a whole meeting, how we're going to do it. We're not going to let the child because ABC is destroying them. Okay. So now they have a three-minute conversation. How are we going to do it? Oh, we'll do it tomorrow morning. We'll tell the child ABC is out, right? What you did is the child doesn't understand what happened suddenly. I always had ABC. Now suddenly my parents don't let me. They don't explain. And the child gets broken and destroyed. And it's making so much damage. So I find, in general, whenever you do a conversation, a conversation with your spouse or with someone else, and, or you're, you're deciding on your own what to do with your child, Let's say you put in 10 minutes on deciding what's good for your child. You should put in 20 minutes on deciding how to do it. How to do it is much more important than what you're going to do. So if we want to secure our child and we want them to be safe and, and doing that, we're going to do something that's going to make them very angry at us or, or, or it's going to make them, uh, uh, it's just, it's just, it could just make the situation way worse. So I think that, how something should be done is, is, is a very important thing. So of course we need to be uh, preemptive. I don't know if that's the right word. You have to tell them, you know, of course, age appropriate, age appropriate. And, 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 um, but at the end of the day, you need to put them out to the bus and you can say a capital till them and say, Hashem, please secure my child. But that's after you did your part. Thank you. Let's go to some questions that came in over here. There's a lot of live questions. Again, anybody wants to ask live, text me. There's a list over here. Live goes first. If you text the question, we'll try to get to it. We have a lot of questions there. Okay, Shlema. Yeah. We have a large family and we're getting close to the shittest stages in our lives. We see that there are so many divorces today. What can we do to raise our children that they could be more healthy and prevent them and set them up for more success in their life? I think the parents should be real and the parents should be good role models. I think that's that's number one. If the parents are able to, the parents are not, uh, are not divorced. I think that... Um, we, we, we got the, we'll get the, we'll, anybody with the divorce questions. We, we got we're getting there. Don't worry. Talking about now the regular right now. Okay, I I think that parents are role models. Uh, of course, we have to talk to our children and we have to understand. And a role model means that you could teach your children 
how you disagree with your spouse. I, people say that anytime you have a disagreement with your husband or your wife, you should go into your room. I say it's not true. If you have an argument, if you have a fight, you should do it in the room. <laughs> Don't scream at your spouse. But if you're disagreeing, how about doing it in front of your child? What's wrong? I want to do this. And my wife respectfully disagrees. She says, no, Shlami, I think that we should do it this way. It's going to be better. And I'm going to say my point. She's going to say her point. I think we're role modeling. Our children are going to learn that when they're going to get married, they're also going to have disagreements. They're not going to have fights. You know, if you have healthy disagreements, you don't end up fighting. I think that if you want to have children, you want to be secure that your children should get married healthy. One of the things is to role model disagreements. And there's a big issue because when we learn Gemara, the Gemara will say there's a machloikas, right? There's many machloikas. So we translate the word machloikas to fight. It's not a fight between the two, between Chazal, Chazal Shalom. It's a disagreement. So they respectfully disagree. They say, this is, this is the point, this is the point, this is the... So disagreements is encouraged. <laughs> Don't go find ones, but disagreements is healthy. And the second thing I think you should do, I think you should be vulnerable in front of your kids. Vulnerability. You're going to teach your child to be vulnerable to their spouse as well. I could tell my child, they were in the car with me and I was talking to someone and I raised my voice a drop. And I hung up the phone. I said, I told my, my, my teenage boy was sitting there. I said, you know, I did wrong. I raised my voice. This person called me so many times and, and just, it, it, I, I couldn't. I, and I, I did something wrong. One second, one second. We're muted. You unmute it, please. Okay, so basically we need to be vulnerable in front of our kids sometimes and say, you could say that I, I was so insecure yesterday when I went into that wedding and, and, and I had over there my ex-family or you could, what's wrong with sharing? I think in the olden days, when we were children, the olden days, <laughs> when I was a child, <laughs> mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm in my, my mid-40s, but when I was a child, I remember parents felt that the only way you could respect them if you think that your parents are God, parents can't have faults. Parents, you, you, you weren't even allowed to know their age. You remember <laughs> you were not allowed to know their first name because they felt it's a breach in respect. And my father is powerful. He can do everything in the world. Of course, it's not true. Your children are going to see you more powerful when you're able to be vulnerable and say, you know what? Yeah, of course, you're powerful. You're great. But I did a mistake. I should have done that. You're allowed to apologize to a child. You're teaching them to apologize. I just spoke to Bacharim, uh, the big group Thursday night. There was a, a training for teenage boys that go to the hospital. It's a huge organization from Kiriciel, amazing. They have Bacharim. So there's like 150 volunteers over there. And we were training them in how to deal in the hospital with kids. Uh, I, I was talking to the volunteers, basically how they should deal with themselves, with their own trauma, witnessing all this pain. So uh, uh, in the middle of the conversation, I don't know how it came in. And I asked all the boys, I said, Can, uh, how many of you could say the word, I am sorry? So I said, everybody, say loud. I'm sorry. I said, oh, now you can get married. Meaning to say, I am sorry means I could be vulnerable. I made a mistake. I should have said something else. I didn't realize. This is something that's very important. It's to role model vulnerability and to role model how to disagree in a very healthy, mature way. I think this is for now two, two major things you could do. Very good. Um, now the question is, if they do have a healthy home, but um, somebody sent in, we live around some neighbors that have a bad influence on my kids and we try to do everything right. 
at home they can do everything right, but when the kids go outside and there's all different types of influence from the neighbors, what should the parents do then? It's a very good question, and I think the answer is, is, is of something very important, so I'm happy someone asked this question. I remember a couple of years ago, I lived in a different place, I moved, but I remember on the block there was an elderly yid that had an aide. Uh, a guy was the aide, and he had a, a nurse or something, and he had like a device, I don't know, it was a smartphone or something else, and he was watching terrible, terrible stuff. And it, it, it came to the attention of one of the parents on the block, that all the kids were standing around this, <laughs> this person and he, and he was exposing the kids to, to, I don't know, I don't know how far it was, but very bad movies or whatever it was. So they went to the, that family. It was a very dysfunctional family. Uh, besides dealing with that parent, that, that it was dysfunctional. And they spoke to the, to the neighbor and they told him, you can't have your, your aid or you have to change it. You can't. And he was laughing off. He said, eh, so tell your kids not to come here. So the whole block got together, they didn't have to deal. So they came to me, they came to my house and they wanted to have my input on how to deal with it. And I was telling them that, listen here, we have to do, put into our children as much as we can to, 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 to keep them away from being exposed to all the schmutz in the world. But at the same time, we need to remember that it's almost virtually impossible to totally uh, insulate or isolate them from, from being exposed. So I think that we need to have a little more open conversation. And what happened was a funny thing. Mamish a week later, a week later, in the Shuwa Adavan in the weekdays, on the block of day, they called me, someone that, I, someone that I, I know very well. And he called me and he said, you know, we're having a problem on our block and we want to have a conversation. A we want to make a decision and we want you to join. They wanted me to join and to help them decide how to deal. So I went, it was one Tuesday night. I'm sitting there with all of them. And they're all venting and screaming that this neighbor has to be kicked out of the neighborhood because there, they had a teenage boy that was, that was, I don't know what he was, whatever, he was touching a younger kid, whatever it was. And I was like, okay, uh-huh. And so you really thought you're going to be living on planet Earth and you're not going to have any, your children are not going to be exposed to anything. Every block, every street, in every town, it could be ultra Hasidish and it could be in, in the streets of Manhattan. The children are sooner or later stories happen. And we need to, if, some, if something is sent in your child's way, not by you, you have to try to, 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 to secure them, to watch them, it shouldn't happen. But if this is what happened, that means that Hashem, if I could speak for Hashem's name, <laughs> that Hashem wants you to have this conversation, this very conversation now with your child. And not just to say, don't talk to that kid. Of course, sometimes we have to do that. And also the how to do it has to be very careful not to hurt someone. You never know what could, you could hurt that other kid and you could damage even the how has to be what has to be done is that you have to talk to your kids. If Hashem sent your child to be exposed to something, you have to deal with it. It was not your choice. It was Hashem's choice. Hashem wanted your kid to be exposed to this and how to deal with the neighbor. Oh, wow. You have to be very careful. A lot of people did very wrong moves. They meant good. They harmed and hurt people forever. I've spoken to people that were 40 years old and telling me when they were kids, they did, they were stupid, young and stupid, doing something to the neighbor. And the way they dealt with it, they killed this person forever. This person was not able to be functional in life anymore. So we have a big achrayas. You want to save your child, but you have to make sure not to hurt. So you need, you need to discuss it with a very smart person. Okay. A lot of live questions. Let's, let's try to get through some live. You're on.
Okay, thanks for taking the question. Um, so uh, just back to what we were saying about how some people look like they're an adult body, but they're emotionally not that intelligent. Yeah. So how much patients, just two questions, it's okay. One is how much should a person wait through that if their husband is in that category of someone who's just not emotionally intelligent, they have their, their addictions, all this stuff going on. They don't use the words, I'm sorry. I don't have good communication for the children. So how much is it important that the child ha children have a father figure in the home to show them like what a relationship is if they don't really know how to be that role model and give that secure home feeling for the kids? And like, what do you do exactly with someone who's just doesn't see a problem with themselves? They're not ready to like go to any therapy and they're just like emotionally very immature like children. And at the same time, like the person's like, let's say cheating on their wife and um, they, like they admit it and they're like, doesn't matter. Like they, they have no remorse or regret, like they have issues. So what do you, is it like, does the Shem like want people to be just like patient and loving and rahim and all this meetups, like, you know, for them, just like he is just, or like, are we supposed to have like a, a, a limit and say like, this is not, it's not better for children to have two parents if one is acting like this and it's such tension in a home. Mm -hmm. It's a little complicated. I have just so much to say, but I'm okay. trying to make this like it's quick. Okay. And okay. Um, Plymer, I told you, you, come on the show over here. The questions are easy. It's not complicated. Let's go. <laughs> we'll break it down. It really, really, you asked me five questions. Um, We're like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I, I think, I think um, the first question I think is going to answer a lot of uh, the others. Um, how much time should you give it to your spouse to heal themselves to become mature? And you mentioned the word addictions to become to become a mensch in, in a general word, but to become emotionally healthy and stable, emotionally mentally healthy and stable. I think that it, there has to be a plan in place. If you don't set a plan in place, there's not just waiting game. Hashem does not want you to suffer, and obviously this is not a role model for your kids, and your children are not going to grow up healthy at all. So obviously like this is not an option, but if he's somewhat complying and he says, I can't say the word, I'm sorry you said, but if he's able to realize somewhat that he's, he's obviously doing everything wrong in, that, in this way, I think that there has to be a time frame. There has to be a plan. If there's no plan, there's no waiting time. So you can't ask how much is the time you ask him. Uh, he has to be put in, in, into a place where he needs to answer you. Am I going to shape up? Yes. What are you doing about it? I'm going to speak to this and this therapist. Great. And when he starts going to the therapist, he asks the therapist, how much time if my husband complies and he really listens and he's really trying to work on himself, uh, how much time is it going to take? And if the therapist tells you it's going to take a lifetime, then you have to make a very big decision. But if the therapist tells you it's going to take six months or a year, then of course you should try to work it out, put in everything you've got to save your children and even yourself for the future. But if he's not taking responsibility, you're, you're not living with a healthy being. And I don't think Hashem wants you to live in a marriage like this. I don't think Hashem wants you to, I mean, I, I, you should ask your Rav really, but uh, this particular question or, 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 or that story, some people ask, whatever it is. But I think that my, but asking me, I don't think that this is Ratzon Hashem. I think Ratzon Hashem is that, that uh, a husband should take care of his wife and be there for her and and, and for his children and be responsible and everything that he promised in the Ksuba. And he's not doing that. So I, I don't see why. So 
you, you need to put him in a, I don't know, you, you seem like not a very strong personality, but you need someone else to do it for you. Someone to, you need to arrange someone to meet up with him and say, listen here, these are the issues. Take care, take, take, you know, take care of yourself. And we need to have a plan. There needs to be a game plan. If there's no game plan, then you really have to, you, 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 I'm sorry, but you have to make a very big decision. Well, yeah. On fire. Here we go. You have more live questions. You're on. I'm on. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Two questions. Yeah. Number one is what should a parent focus on the most or drive their kids crazy about? There are so many things you want to remind your children to do in any given day. They need to be a mensch, brush their teeth, brush their hair, take a shower. They need to be responsible. They need to clean up after themselves, you know, whether it's after their meals, their dirty laundry, whatever it is. Um, you want them to daven and do chesed. You want them to, you know, share with their friends or be a good hostess. The list goes on and on in terms of things that you want your child to learn while they're in your house and they're still a child. Yeah. Um, but you can't drive them crazy all day. They'll they'll go crazy. What what's the most important thing to focus on? Very good question. It's it's a it's I, I think that every Second. mommy has has Second. that question. Second question. That's my first question. I have another okay, question. Okay, go ahead. What's question number two? If a parent or both parents don't set a good example in any specific area or in a few areas, how do you address that when the kids ask about it? For example, if it's time for the Shabbos Suda and the father is still sleeping and didn't go to shul, what do you tell the kids? Okay. Shall we go to the second question first, if you don't mind? Okay. The second question first, um, what do you tell the children if the father is not being a role model? He's not, he's not going to shul and he's not making kids if he's sleeping. And they and basically the home is not running the way the way uh, the way it should be, and he's definitely not a good role model. And um, this is something that's very painful for the spouse, for the wife, because you know you're doing your part, and you seem to me like you're on top of things. Uh, your house is very put together, the way it sounds from your question, like you're trying to to make sure that everything runs very properly. Your your and 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 your spouse is not only not helping you, he's. Uh, He's going in the other direction and he's making your child, uh, your children very confused. Like what's happening here? Are we making Kiddush? Like where, where, where we're up to? I think that, um, I think that many people do things without realizing the uh, impact and men could sometimes suffer from this a little more than women, that they don't realize the ramifications of their actions, of their things. They, oh, I'm tired. I work all week. I want to go to sleep. Oh, I'll dive in later. And I can't. So, so if you're able to explain it to him without a nagging, uh, uh, without pushing, just in a very nice, I, I don't know your relationship with him, but if, if you guys have a somewhat of a good relationship. Somebody put a good joke. Said, what do you do the opposite? If you're ready for the suit and the wife is still sleeping. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Some reason okay. that never usually happens, but okay. Okay, good. So I, I think that um, I think that if if you're able to communicate with him in a healthy way, you should you should explain to him and try to figure out what works for his brain that he should really chop of of why it's so important that that the time that he is home he needs to be a real role model and walk in coming from shul and if he doesn't want to go to shul he can go speak with a neighbor but he has to come back and walk in and say good shabbos and then start the shabbos meal and and sing with the kids and everything else um i i and um and um so so definitely this is something you should try to do and i i encourage in general this is a general rule in marriage the general rule is as follows. We have with our spouses various types of conversations. We have light conversations and heavy conversations. 
Okay, light conversations are shopping list, uh, pick up the child, take out the garbage, the regular stuff. This is regular conversations. This could be on a daily basis. Then there is a heavy conversation. Heavy conversation is something that has to do with, with uh, paying the mortgage, money, uh, a major decision on chinuch, or if you have an, an, a, 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 something about your spouse that you don't like and you want to discuss it, uh, you can't just out of the blue when your husband is at work and or your wife is a, uh, you know is doing the dishes and and drop at her uh, like the heaviest question like what are we doing how do we do you know it's so common I have I have this thing a man told me just this morning he's telling me that he's an electrician and he's putting on the lights uh, he's standing on the ladder and his phone is ringing once and twice or three times and he answers the phone like hanging like that and trying to and 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 his wife says it like he thought like it's an emergency maybe his his kid fell off a a chair or something and she says but what's going to be tonight we have to so he says, okay, when I'll come home, like, <laughs> I understand her. She was frantic while she was at, in other words, I believe, I, I, what I suggest for every marriage, a heavy conversation has to be an official conversation, never as a by the way. You don't have a heavy conversation as a by the way. If it's very heavy on your chest, you could tell your husband right now, I know now is not the time, but I just want to get on my, I just want to ask you, can we please have this conversation regarding ABC? Not now. Good. You ask him for an appointment or you ask your wife for an appointment. You don't just ask out of the blue a very heavy conversation. I find that this is one of the greatest, one of a very great cause for pain in marriage for no reason. Because if your spouse is not in the mode now, and men have that issue a little more than women, we are very boxy and we cannot think now about everything. And, and it hurts us, like, out of the blue, the wife asks a question. We understand the women because for them, it's, this is what's irking her now, and it's connected to everything else. And she's, I get it. So you tell your, spouse, your husband, you say like this. You call him at work, or you send him a text. You say, I need to discuss with you the mortgage. It's, it's very heavy for me. It doesn't have to be now. Let me know when we can have this conversation. Or you, call, you tell your husband, okay, so he says, can we have it tonight? Can we have it tomorrow night, eight o'clock at night? We make a time to discuss the shaduchah from your child. You don't, or the disagreement that you have about shaduchah for your children, right? This is a very common issue. So you, you, you make a time for it. Never have a, a heavy conversation as a by the way. So I just want to throw this in because it was a good opportunity to talk about this. It, this is a very heavy conversation because you're confronting him. He's feeling that you're not respecting him when you're telling him, and a man needs respect. And he needs to feel that his wife looks up at him and his family, although he doesn't realize he's destroying it with his own two hands, but he doesn't realize it now at the moment. And all he knows is his wife says, why didn't you wake up yet? Look at the kids. And she's crying or she's whatever, whatever way you're responding. You say, this is, this is unacceptable what you're doing now. It's very painful for me and for the family. We're not going to discuss it now. Let's have a beautiful Shabbos meal. Please give me a time when we can have a conversation about it. This is the minimum he has to give you, a time when you could discuss it. And you really need to, don't, don't step on eggshells, on tippy toes, but try to figure out what is a good, his language, how he should really understand, he should chap, what implications it has on the whole family. I hope that answered the question number two. Can I interject for a second? Yeah. That, that's in regards to the spouse, but what do you tell the kids? Lamaisa, like it's 12 o'clock, Shabbos, you know, they're like, Let's have a suda. I think once you know which direction you're going with your husband, because you tried having within that conversation, 
uh, you'll know more how to go about it. But in general, you can always tell your children, like Santati works so hard the whole week and is very exhausted. And I know it's very hard for us, but I'm going to try to explain Tati why it's important that he should start on time. In other words, you're not saying it's okay, but you're, you're giving them room to understand that it's probably hard for him. Okay, there's, a, there's another question. I teach Bahram in seventh grade and I see them sh- some struggling. As a mechanic, what can I do to help these boys at the same time not to let them bring down the other boys in the class? Rabbi's point of view when, when a kid's struggling. Okay. Um, uh, what's seventh grade? I don't know what age is that. What's the age? 13. 13, okay. I, I grew up in different numbers. Was the, we, we were a kid to test, seventh grade kid to test. Okay. Um, I think this is a question that every single Mechanach is asking or should be asking because this is so prevalent and so common these days where, where you, you always have, you know, people, even, even after screening, you know, what the schools are doing these days, <laughs> they're taking this parent to that. And even after that, there's still so many different homes and different. Uh, uh, different levels and kids come and they expose other kids to different things and and the malamdam and the magachim are struggling with it uh what the, the rabbi could do about it i think that um the rabbi could set a rule i once did it in a, in a, in a yeshiva for I, I think it was maybe sixth grade i'm not sure a little younger but it worked i told him that he should have conversations he should remind the children in the class that cheder or yeshiva is for educational purposes only and friendships but it's not about Hashkafa. Everybody should pick up Hashkafa at home and they should not have these conversations. I, I, it helped him because he told me then at the time, I remember that, that Rebbe told me that they were arguing about Sionis. <laughs> they were arguing about other you know, things. And he was saying that, so you can't take sides. You can't take, uh, you know, you have to say that this, these are conversations that need to, every, every home needs to have. It's not something that should be done in school. I think in general, uh, the way it used to be, in, in, in the old, in, before the war, before World War II, the way it used to be is Chinuch was at home, education was with the Rebbe in Yeshiva. Of course, we want our children to pick up some good tips and good Chinuch by role modeling from good Magachirim, good Rebbe's, and, 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 but really Chinuch is at home. Chinuch should still be coming mainly from home. And one of the greatest things of Chinuch is not only educating the children what, what their outlook in life in Hashkaf and Yiddishkeit, it's also to teach them how to deal with people that are not in the same level as yourself. I think that the, we need to com- have these conversations with our children. But that's one of the reasons why they go to school? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into more difficult questions over here. Okay. Okay. Now we're starting to get into the ones that are more uh, complicated. Okay, we're having marital issues and there are a lot, there's a lot of fighting back and forth. It's really affecting our children. I'm not sure how to deal with them, giving them the security they need to, to, have, to be successful in life while my spouse and I are nonstop killing each other. The question right. at the beginning, it's, it's the mind-boggling question, right? People do everything for the kids, but when it comes to this problem, it's like uh, oh, everything goes out the window. So yeah, one parent that sees it, what could they do? Again, assuming that they, 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 they could, but the other spouses constantly, you know, what could they do? Uh, first of all, we need to know that our children are very smart and we know our parents better than they think that we know them. And the children know very well uh, 
what's normal, what's not normal, what should be and what shouldn't be. Children are very pained and it destroys them seeing their parents fighting, but they know which parent is right usually and which parent is wrong, which parent is, 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 is just being, it's just being ridiculous and just, just uh, uh, destroying the parent, the marriage. I think that the healthy parent, I guess it's the one that asked the question, has a very hard job, but a very easy job. You be a mensch. You be a mensch. You be a role model. Yes, they're going to see you can't control. They're going to see your spouse screaming at you or yelling at you, whatever they're doing or destroying. And they see that the other one, you, you know, we think that we need to argue back because if not, our children are going to, it's subconscious, one of the thoughts that we have, that our children are going to think that we're also wrong because my ex, is, my husband is screaming at me or my wife. And it's, it's, it's not true. Children know if you're right, you're, you be good. And uh, these are the, and you'll be you. And, and they should be there. Meaning to say, of course, in, when you're in the bedroom and the children are not there and you want to argue back with your spouse and you don't argue in public, you don't argue back, you be quiet and you do as much as you can. I think that in a way, this is going to make your children even more uh, stronger and more resilient in their life later on. Of course, we don't want to bring it up. If it's already happening, let's, uh, let's, let's use it for the good because the children are going to see, they're going to make choices. Do I want to look like the healthy parent or the unhealthy parent? But if you argue back, even if you're right, you're equally wrong by doing it in front of the children. So you don't have to tell your children your spouse is wrong. You don't have to tell your children that this is not the way to be because they know, they know. You role model your side of the, of the, uh, your version. And I think that, you know, down the road, they're going to thank you and they're going to say thank you so much for, for just, you know, for being quiet all these years. And we saw how much he suffered and we saw how ridiculous he was or she was. And I, I think that that's the only thing you could do at the moment. Beautiful. Okay. Live question. You're on. Okay. Good evening. First of all, thank you for taking my question. Um, it's running from topic to topic here. When telling a child what to do, whatever the case is, whatever you tell them what to do, after you told them what to do, sometimes it's always recommended not to tell them what to do. It's so don't need to, we don't always need to be controlling on our children. But when you did tell them what to do, when would a parent know, okay, now it's time to let go. I know you said it's not about you, it's about them. Let it go. That's a question. Very good question. question. Yeah. Topic. We mentioned here that we come home and the father is still sleeping. What do we tell the children? That, that, that's a separate question. First, let me ask you. Yeah, yeah, I think we should answer first the first one because... When you come home and the wife is still... She decided 15 minutes before the husband comes home from Shields, he goes, the guy says, she's going to start davening. And it's, you know, her tafkid is not to daven. Her tafkid is to feed her family. He's doing his duties. And he's, he went to Shield. He came home. He's home now. It's 12 o'clock. He's home. He's hungry. Everybody's hungry. He wants to eat. And now the wife is starting to daven. What do we do then? Relax. Chazunas. The guys can eat the table. You can wait ten minutes. Okay. Okay. I, 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 so two two very good questions, and 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 it's it's it does happen very often. But I think the first question happens even more often. It's a it's a when do you tell your child to do something, and when and when when don't you follow through? That's basically when you ask. And my answer is never. You never tell a child something and you don't follow through. 
you have to pick and choose your battles before you say something. And because once you, uh, we'll talk about little children, obviously, with children that, you, that are still under your control. And, and, and I think that children need to know that when mommy says, you're, you have to do this, then they have to do it. If you know that you're not ready to stick through until the end, then don't start in the first place. You could say it's a suggestion. But if you say you have to do ABC, you have to follow through. You cannot let go. There's no such thing. I think that uh, that's very destructive. That's creating children that are becoming, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're teaching them to have personality disorders. I think that um, it, it does not work that way. Discipline means discipline. When you should discipline, how you should discipline is a total conversation. But whenever you did decide you're going to, you tell your children, you cannot throw, uh, pour the milk on the floor or whatever. If not, you're going to have to go into your room for five minutes. You have to follow through. I think to me that's a, and the, the second question you asked about um, that the, the husband comes home and the wife is davening. I think that uh, <laughs> you wanted you wanted me to answer. This. Okay, I think that um, again it goes back to Ashkafa. A lot of girls today grow up in different schools or different besiakovs where it's amazing they're teaching the girls to daven, and they keep teaching the girls to respect the husband that learns Tyra. And which is amazing. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but they don't teach, or maybe they do teach and the children, the kids don't get it, but really they need to understand that, that there has to be uh, <laughs> up until which level on, on, on whose cheshman. So obviously it's very nice if a woman davens and Hashem listens to tefillahs from women very much. And we've seen it throughout Chazal and throughout the Nevi'im and Nevi'is. Hashem is very, very tefillahs of, of, of a Yiddish mama is amazing. And it's, and it's, it's real. It's real, as it says, we say every morning, um, uh, the women say, so means that I am perfect in this way that I'm able to connect to Hashem in a perfect man. Everything else she needs to work on, but a woman is able to connect. That's why the, the, the rabbit says that women don't have to die with minion because women are able to connect. They don't need the whole hoo-ha to, to get into a mode to connect to Hashem. They could be washing dishes and, and connecting to Hashem on a very deep level. A man needs the whole Elul, the whole Rosh Hashanah, that the five minutes by Ne'ilah should really, <laughs> it should really be connected. So in that way, a woman is perfect. So that's what she says, that Hashem created me perfect and I'm able to connect to Hashem even in every way, whatever she's doing, she's able to connect. So that's why she doesn't need to go to Minyan and Davin. She's able to Davin whenever she wants. But obviously, they need to know. I mean, most women do know. Women are very smart, but some women are uh, didn't realize yet that it's very important to not on the chesma of your children. You cannot stand outside and waiting with the kids for the bus, and you're standing with a sitter. But this is the three most important minutes where your child wants to talk to and, and talk about his bus, and and or it's even dangerous sometimes. You see them davening and waiting for the bus of the kids. It's the same thing like looking at the phone, which some women do, which is terrible, uh, while while your kids are, are, are waiting to go onto the bus. I think that that we need to know when to daven. But I think that men should be very uh, uh, um, uh, forthcoming and telling their wives, I'm very proud that you're davening and, I, and it's very important. They need to hear it from us again and again. And But you can't do it while pink when I come on from Yishol and pink when we have to feed the kids, obviously. So I think it's it's cycle. It's not it's nothing more than that. Okay, let's go. More live questions. You're on. Hi. Okay. So we we're talking about the questioner before that children pick up who is the healthy spouse and who's the unhealthy spouse. Right. And, you know, just by, I guess, acting dignified, they'll, they'll pick that up. Yeah. My question is what happens when the unhealthy spouse 
is very manipulative and brainwashes your children, like twists everything around and tries to make the healthy stuff look bad and the children are very confused then. Right. It's a very good question because it's 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 common. It's common when when we when we're living with a spouse that's uh, abusive or manipulating or uh, you know that has any kind of those uh, um, traits. It's it's difficult to live with them in general, and and I'm sure that many people are living with such spouses and they're living with them because they're trying to save their children or they just can't go or they're hoping for better. But until that time, until they make a decision, you know what how how to live with these people. The question is what, what what do we tell the kids because we i just said before that the healthy parent is a good role model but the problem is that the spouse is is manipulating them and brainwashing them here's where i'm going to be a little bit personal um i i i just want to say i'm not you know probably most of you don't know but i i myself am a second marriage i got remarried about 17 years ago Baruch Hashem, and um i had three children with my first wife and then Baruch Hashem, i got remarried and I have three children. My wife, my new wife, has brought in three children, and together we had, we had a few children. So we have uh, minds, yours, and ours. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's a beautiful family of ten children. <clears throat> and um, so I've been through, uh, I've been through, and 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 uh, in my personal life, and I've been through together with many clients that come to me, where they had their exes manipulate the children uh, against them. And uh, here you're talking to me, you're telling me that it's even in a marriage where the where one of the parents is so abusive that they're able to manipulate the children that mommy is wrong or tati is wrong. And I'm really, um, the, 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 the long-term abusers, fighters, manipulators are only good for short-term. The smart people, the healthy people win in the long-term. I can tell it to you on my own skin. I can tell it to you on my own life. My children were brainwashed against me. They were told everything in the world against me. They, they were, I, my children were alienated from me. I, I haven't seen my one child I haven't seen for 13 years. My other daughter I didn't see for nine years. My other son I haven't seen for five years. Back and forth in my life. I've been through Gehenna, you can't imagine with this, with this aspect. And my biggest pain obviously was for my kids that they, they don't have me. And of course that I don't have them, but I'm talking about my children's pain of being taken away from their father and brainwashed and manipulated there were times when i reached out to my daughter and she told me uh tati i don't want to talk to you again you're crazy and this and that she was told that i have tattoos she was told that i was a drug <laughs> everything in the book but it was very painful very very painful but i continued being a mensch i continued being whatever i can fast forward many many years Hashem, i'm after I'm, I'm on the other side of the of the of the, of the bridge of the story and I could tell you that all three of all my children are very clear I never had to explain to them that I am normal they were told that I alienated them that that she wanted to give the kids to me that I didn't want <laughs> and I thought that I kept all my court papers and everything else I thought I'm gonna have to tell my kids and prove to them that I was there for them all my life and I loved them and I was always thinking and I bought them birthday presents and she threw it out in the garbage when I was mailed to my children my ex lives in a different country and I thought I, I saved everything. When the time each and every one of them came back in different times, uh, they I didn't have to say anything. And I never told them anything against my ex up, up until this day. They figured out everything, everything. I need to argue with them and I'm begging them to call their mother. We're, we're living in a, you need to understand, MS, my Eretz, Titzmach. That's what, that's what it says. 
MS, the truth, sprouts from, from Eretz, from the earth, from the ground, from the dirty, from the dust. It looks like he's stepping on the earth. The earth is nothing. And suddenly, we all see it now. Now is the season of spring. You see, suddenly it sprouts out. The truth comes out like a beautiful flower that comes out. You could be, they could be stepped at. You could be bullied. You could be everything you want. You continue being MS. You need to have support. I did. I had therapists that I spoke to. I got my, I took care of myself emotionally. I did not want to, I did not want to destroy my life. And when my children came back to me, they came back to a happy father. And I didn't have to say anything. Once in a while, one of my kids will ask me, but what happened? My mother once told me that, I don't know. I don't say anything. And guess what? The truth takes long to come out, but when it comes out, nothing could bury it again. It's here to stay. So if you're living in this marriage or any of you listening or have your spouse brainwashing your children against you, you be the good one. It's not about now. It's about the future. The now is a very short period. Your children are five years old, 10 years old while you're divorcing, 15-year-olds. It comes a time, it goes like a snap. Suddenly they're married and your children come back to you. And most of the time, and even more so if you did the right thing until now. And even if you did some mistakes, it's also okay. But try to do you be the best version of yourself and you're going to see the truth is going to come out and sometimes children grow up and i have a lot of friends of mine they used to talk about their parents regular homes not divorced homes just say, oh, my father was always abusing my mother and now i'm later i'm realizing that she's the one that triggered him you know you know we talk to all of our friends right we all have stories and um it takes time sometimes it takes time sometimes but <laughs> but it comes out the truth comes out wow Wow. Okay. Now we got to digest that for a minute, right? <laughs> okay. Next live question. You're on. Hi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but I'm always amazed at this beautiful show. And uh, I just had a general question. This is something I always think about because I am growing between the two generations where things rapidly changed from my days to these days. And this is just, I see people have many challenges. Some people are not really having had slacha. And just listening to the show, we're hearing so many nice tips. We should do this. We should do that. I want to know, is there, it's just a fear I have. I don't know how my future is going to be in Belgium will be well. But is there ever a time that we could just say a person like, is, with all these eights, is it guaranteed? Or is there ever a time we could just say it's examination like mind and we have to accept someone's like this and this is what it is and you know I did my job I have to be happy with what I did or like I or I know it sounds like from here that things are so different that there's more responsibility to act more wiser than right. previous generations. Okay, I understand the question very well. Um, you're asking that the way you're seeing is that you're growing up between generations. You probably mean that very different styles of chinuch, the past and, and, and today. And you have a fear that, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen? How do you know if you're going to do something right? How are, you, how are you secure that you're doing the right thing to make sure? And, and when is it like, you did everything you can? I think that um, I'm going to answer this to the Vart from the Bashemtov, one of my, <laughs> my greatest Rebbe. The Bashemtov said, 
that every morning when a person wakes up and the, they should say, whatever is going to happen to me in my life today, whatever I'm going to do, every business deal, every chinuch move, it's up to me. I need to do the best I can to my knowledge at this moment in time and this generation that I'm in and I, whatever I have available for me, I need to do the maximum I could today to be matzliach, to be successful, which is in rachnis and in gashmis and everything else. At night, when the day passes, before you go to bed, the Bashantov says, you say everything that happened today was up to Hashem. Hashem wanted it to happen. All my mistakes, all my boo-boos, all my accomplishments, and everything that, that, that went on today was exactly the way Hashem wanted it to be. How it's like that is a whole different conversation, but this is it. So there's a before and an after. Before you do a chinuch move, before you, you, you want to get married, before you want to date a girl, you have to do the maximum you can that makes sense of what's available in this time, in this day and age. You cannot think what's going to be 10 years from now, we're going to be so much more advanced to something else. So maybe I'm doing a wrong decision. You cannot live like that. It's very painful to live that way. So obviously we need to be able to, so we need to have whatever is available to us today. So whatever chinuch is today, you should listen to a lot of lectures what you're doing that you're tuning into this show, which is amazing. Thank you and continue doing it. That's, that's unbelievable. And you should continue doing whatever you can. And whatever happens afterwards, you know, it was Menashe Mayim. Um, you mentioned before a healthy blended family. Yeah. Now, what happens? Somebody's having a question if some of the kids are, they come every second week and don't always get along with the kids that live there. And sometimes uh, to add to it, how do you build a relationship with a step child, which can be difficult? Okay, this is a very up my alley. <laughs> uh, just, um, I have uh, an organization. It, 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 it takes over the whole shulam bias. It, it, yes. it, everything changes the, the chemistry in the home. Yeah, this is very, very common. And this is something that everybody that gets remarried should expect that. But this is not, this is not a reason not to jump into it and not to do the right thing. Obviously, it has to make sense. Uh, me and my wife together, we have one of the things we do is a, we have an organization which is called Mishpachtenu, Our Families. We made various uh, different events from remarried couples. Uh, we had every color in Yid, in, from Yiddish color, every type of Yid that came over there, older, younger, Hasidish, modern, everybody used to come, uh, used to be to say, we, 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 we really need to restart. But until COVID, it was very common. Now we're, we're going to set up another event and so we have we have spoken and seen to to many many remarried couples and in my private practice this is what i do on a daily basis where people come and they you know they call me the blender <laughs> the blending machine um it's only natural children not to get along it's only natural for children not to like the parents new spouse it's natural and it's only natural that children cannot see the future, they can only see the present. And if someone doesn't see the future, they don't realize that it's for their favor. It's very hard for them and very difficult for them to, to, to want to accept this marriage in general. And the, the, these children had their, their mommy to themselves for a few years until she got remarried or their father. And then suddenly there's this whole 
new lady and her children. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot going on. Um, so it makes sense. And we need to understand that it's going to take time. And time is key. I know people are very uh, edgy and, and it's, it's your own child and your own child comes to tell you Lashon Hara on your spouse and say that when you're not home, she's, she's not nice to me or he's not nice to me or, you know, the, the new boy over here when I come for Shabbos and they have nice pajamas. I had old pajamas and, and she only buys new clothing for, for, for her kids and not for us when we come. I could tell you hundreds of stories like this. Mamish firsthand that the people that come to me. But there's one thing that, that, that all of us need to understand, time heals. And we need to tell our children, I understand you, validate our kids again and again and again and again, and, and, and understand them and say, listen, it's going to take time. I understand you very much. And of course, you have to be careful for bullying or something that's, that's out, of, out of the norm. And, um, and you could do with the children, the way I said before, you could do with your spouse. You could always tell your child, you want to tell me something against the new mommy in the house, the new father? No problem. Once a week, every Sunday night, write it down. I'm going to have a conversation with you and we're going to discuss it. And I really want to hear what you have to say. But they cannot throw it at you whenever they want to destroy the house and destroy your mood. By You're still human and it's still your child, your blood relative. And your child is going to tell you, uh, you know, they're in pain because you got remarried and, 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 and punked between you and the wife wasn't in the, the highest level of... Re- of love at that moment, it, it just tickles and a, 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 a very wrong part in your system and in your heart, and it creates it could create a, a, um, you know it could turn you off from your own spouse. You know, your children children could destroy marriages. And, and what do you could, do? What do you, what the, the kid says? So I'm going to tell you once a week, and what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, so what happens is first of all, once a week, uh, half of the things I wanted to say is it was was just how they felt at the moment and something that's serious you should listen to them and 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 i and i think that these children should always have someone to speak to outside the marriage they should have like a, a mentor if you can't afford the therapist there's always someone they could someone that you trust that that you that they could just have this one person where they could vent and and share but at the end of the day you know i had a, a woman that came to me for 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 to discuss about her children uh, right before pesach and um at the end she was saying that uh, just by the way, she follows some of my stuff and she saw what I do. So she says that her mother, this is a, a 35-year-old woman telling me that her mother came from a blended family of 18, 18, 18 children. Okay, so she says that she grew up, that she has 18 pairs, sets of aunts and uncles because her mother came from a huge family the father remarried to a woman that had a huge family. And then together they had a lot of children. So we talk about 18. And she's telling, so I asked her, it was a good case study for me. And she's telling me how amazing they all get along. And it's, it's so beautiful to have such a huge, large family. Whenever they have simchas, they are so close to each other. So I asked her, was this always? Or she said, no. Her mother told her that when she grew up, it was so difficult. But her mother, her father, she said that her grandfather is a very smart man, and he was, he was very patient, obviously, her father of 18, and he always used to tell his kids, Kinder you should understand, in the long term, it's going to be, you're going to see it's so good for you, and now it's tough for you, let's, what, what can I do to make it better for you? He, he always worked with them, and then the mamish, the ahava, the lipsha between all of these 18 siblings, I don't know who they are, she didn't tell me, but she said it's just amazing. So, I want to tell you again, personal, 
I think that this is going to be helpful to people. The only reason I'm sharing a little personal is because I think it could be helpful. Um, when I got remarried, it was very tough for one of my children. And although we didn't have a huge relationship at the time, but it was, it was just, I heard back from our therapist, from our teacher, and that my father's getting married and is forgetting about us. It was very, very painful. So then when she came back into my life later, uh, I was confronted with all these kind of questions. I was very pained. And I said, yeah, I understand the pain. I didn't answer. I, I just understood her. I, I validated everything. And one day this child tells me, stop. I, I need to hear answers. You need to tell me what happened? Why were you so selfish? And why did you just move on and let us alone with this mother? You know, I said, you know what? I'm going to share with you a story. And I'm going to share with all of you the story that happened to my mother's first cousin. When I grew up, I knew my mother had a first cousin. And we're talking about many, many years ago. He was, I remember him as a single man, divorced for years. And he was overweight like you've never seen in your life. Never, he was broken. So I once asked my mommy, I said, Mommy, what, what happened? What, what, what's, what's the story? So my mother said, He was married to a very, very, in those years, I didn't have, they weren't able to articulate or to explain. They didn't have all these personality disorder diagnoses. Was basically like today, nowadays, it would probably be a combination of, of a narcissist and a, and, and a borderline mix or whatever. He suffered terribly from this woman and he had three children with her. And he got divorced and she told him, you're never going to see the kids again. I'm going to fight the courts. I'm smarter than everybody. I'm shrewd. And you're going to be chayzik. You're never going to. She moved away to a different town. He was in, he was making a nice pranos at the time. He was in jewelry or something. I'm not sure. And he went to court. He was fighting to see his children. So my mother's telling me he was fighting for a couple of years. And she was able to win. He lost his pranos. He lost all his money. After all said and done, he never got to see his kids. He was broken, shattered to pieces. Fast forward many, many, many years. He became the mashgiach in a, in a hotel somewhere. And one day, one day, knock, knock. Someone knocks on his door. A young, handsome boy opens up the door and he says, oh, how can I help you? He says, I'm looking for Mr. So-and-so. He says, that's me. My cousin, my mother's cousin said, that's me. And this boy says, that's you. I just want to tell you, I'm your son. I'm your son. And he tells the name. They started hugging and kissing. And he says, I want to tell you something, Daddy. I never knew who you are. I was told that you're in a home, uh, sick. I don't know exactly what his mother told him. And I got engaged, Mazel Tov. And my Rosh Hashiva told me that he is not going to be the Masada Kedushan by my wedding until I find out who my father is. And I did some research behind my mother's back. The mother is very controlling and very manipulative. And I found out that it's your hair and I came to tell you. So the father said, were, it was amazing. And he started asking his father, so why didn't you reach out to us all these years? And what happened? So he started saying, you know, <laughs> I tried. I was fighting for you guys so many years and then I couldn't anymore. So the son says, I can't believe you're such a nice guy. You're broken. You're this, but you're such a nice person. You know, I'm going to get married. Please don't come to my chasana. You know who my mother is. It's going to be a commotion. I want to get married regular. Right after my wedding, I'm coming back to you with my younger brother and my younger sister. That's what happened. A couple of weeks later, he comes, he brings his younger brother and his younger sister to this friend of, to this cousin of mine, my mother's first cousin. There was hugging. There was crying. There was, and they, and they were all asking him, where were you all these years? And he said, listen, I tried. I fought, and he still has a father, had a father at the time. My great uncle 
passed away when he was 101 years old. Many of the time was much younger, but it's a long story, but Stam Agav. He took them to Borough Park to, his, to my great uncle's house. The great, and there was all the cousins came and, and these young teenagers and, their, and, and they, 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 they were so pained they were taken away from such a beautiful family. They never, ever went back to their mother. Even that night, they stayed there. They left their clothing behind, everything behind. They never went back. All of them are married now and all of them are, I, I, I think that still today they have no shaykhs to the mother. But the main point of the story, two months after this whole amazing story, my mother's telling me this, two months after he finally met his kids and there was a reunion like you've never seen. He had a heart attack and he died. It was too late. He was eaten up. He had already diabetes, heart, I don't know, I'm, I'm shooting. I don't know, whatever it was. He had many health issues at the time from all this stress. And the time his kids came back, he wasn't there for them. I remember when I came back from my divorce, my mother told me the story again. She said, me. you are going to get married again. And your children, whenever they're going to come back, they should come back to a healthy, healthy father. And I told this story to my kids. I said, now you know why I got remarried. And not only that, ver the very fact because I got remarried, my children, my, one of my children is already married, Baruch Hashem, they're able to do a regular shidduch, a beautiful shidduch. My son-in-law is the most amazing guy ever. Because they wanted to marry this from a beautiful family. They wanted their son to marry into a married home, a home where there's a father, where there's a mother. Hashem, I, was, I was young enough to get remarried and I was not everybody's and you can still marry off your kids very beautiful but this was this was my girl and Baruch Hashem and I explained to my daughter I said when you're going to get married you're going to want to know that this is a hope and after the chasen a while after I got such a big thank you I can't even you can't even imagine so we need to understand our children have tannas on us, why we get remarried. They have so much to deal with. They have to deal with names changing. There, there's, the, the, you know, the, children, the other children are called, uh, let's say, Chvaizos uh, Klein, and, and, and they're going to be called, uh, what, what, another famous name, uh, Moskowitz, or, and, 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 and this boy is called this name, and this called is the other name. There's a lot going on. These children are going through a lot, and we need to validate it and understand them and help them go through this. But we are the mature people and we know that it's the best thing for our children that we get married again. They see how a spouse is supposed to look like. They see how the communication between a husband and wife is supposed to be. So we are doing our children a huge favor by getting remarried. And so many of you listening, that, and uh, it's my opinion. And I guess, again, whatever I'm saying is general. There's always a osnam. There's always, <laughs> there's always different stories. But... We need to understand in general, I'm talking very generally speaking, in general, it's a huge gift you're giving your children when you get remarried, even throughout all this difficulty. Wow. wow. Got to gotta process that also gives a minute. Okay. So we have a lot more to, 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 to get through. Okay. It's late. I'm going to do one more live and then we'll try to get another two, three questions and we'll go to closing. Okay, you're on. Last live. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to know if a spouse overreacts or doesn't treat their spouse nicely, 
Um, they want to correct it. Should they acknowledge other children that what they did was wrong? Um, and if yes, what's the most appropriate way to explain it without burdening or oversharing? What do you mean by, by overreact? I'm not sure what you, can you give an example? Um, I don't know, getting annoyed about not taking up the garbage or. So he overreacts in what way? He screams? Yeah. Yells, makes noise. Uh, it's, it's, it's so hard to, to live like this. You know, you're trying to keep forth, right? Your, your malchus, your malicha, your home, your domain. You want to keep it happy and healthy and calm. And, and you have a spouse that overreacts. I think that, uh, Usually it's coming from pain. Again, if, they, if they're abusive, that's a totally different story. But generally speaking, people have a lot of stress, uh, even nowadays, even more in post-COVID, uh, post, uh, which is something that, that people don't realize yet, what it really impacted all of us. Uh, and, um, and, and people are more edgy. People are, 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 are living at the edge. And, and it's very hard for them to, to retain uh, to to contain themselves and to retain calmness in the house, so it's 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 you could tell it to your children more in a Rahmanas way, in a, in a in a in a painful way, rather than saying Tati's wrong or Mommy's wrong. You say, ah, oh, have so much stress in their life, and it's and it's it's just it's just he, he's overreacting or she's overreacting, and really it's uh, it's not really the way to do it. And but you don't you don't have to say this every time. You can say it once in ten times, but but really it's probably coming from, from a very painful place. And if you open up your heart uh, to your spouse and, and look at them as not as a person that's being bad, <clears throat> I'm not talking about abusive husbands, abusive wives, it's a total of conversation. I'm talking about healthy, regular people that are just taka, very stressed. And so we have to look at it more with a, with a, with a rahmanas, with a painful, and, and, and it's easy for us and it's easy for our children when we, when we look at it that way. And also, I think she wanted to bring out also, let's say she, she herself was the one that screamed. So a person mature enough that after they acted out, the, the woman got very upset and she wants to explain to the kids, mommy shouldn't have screamed. Like, how do you explain to your kids to make the mistake? I think straight up. I think you should tell your child that I, I am stressed and I, I, I have so much on my head and, 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 and I'm happy to do it. And we, I'm trying to keep a happy, healthy, exciting home and it's just too hard for me. And sometimes I, you know, I'm working on myself this is the part of being vulnerable to your children and i think that's it's it's a great gift they'll be able to say to their children that uh, you know children are allowed to know that we are humans and we have uh, we have shortcomings and we have <laughs> and we have moments we have stress we have whatever it is and I, I think it's okay i think we should be straight up and you don't have to say it every time you can do it every once in a few times let's try to hop on a few more because it's getting late okay it's a very powerful question I just got married three months ago. My parents' upbringing was horrible, from abusive chinuch to nonstop fighting in the home. What advice do you give? What advice do you give me so I, so me and my husband, can have a loving, safe, and healthy home that we all dreamed about? Well, just do everything the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> everything the opposite you saw at home. No, but uh, but I I'm, I'm so happy to hear a question like this because th this is gaula to me. This is where where the new generation, where people today are really want to have a good marriage. We don't want to have a technical marriage. We don't want to have a marriage where two people getting along like a business deal, a business partnership that sometimes there's love, but 
we want to have today's generation in, in, a, in a good sense. There's a lot of good things today also. We have so much issues to deal with. In a good sense, I think that the world today, we are not ready to live a life, uh, a fake, a pseudo marriage. We want to have a real marriage. We want to have a very warm uh, uh, and loving relationship with our spouse. So I think that if you tell your spouse, tell your husband or your wife that I come from this and this background, sometimes... I will do things naturally and I will react to things the way my mother did or my father did. So please excuse me or point it out to me the next day. So I should know not to go to my default settings, but together let's grow together and let's figure out together how we could learn how to communicate effectively and to get closer to each other through hard times, happy times, and and every and, and any time. And I think that if you tell your spouse that this is your struggle and you want to get to something more, even if you'll fail and you falter sometimes, they'll appreciate you. And um, and and um, and again, you should listen to this podcast and to and many other anybody that's going to give you advice. You should listen to. And it's definitely a hard. It's harder for us because we're a generation. The fixing generation is always the hardest, right? Because whoever is in a in a story doesn't realize and whoever is the next generation is numb the third generation is trying to heal so we cannot do the chinuch that we got naturally we have to constantly recalculate and 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 and, and do things uh, in, a, in, a, in a way where 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 we're able to uh, to advance and we're going to do mistakes and tell your spouse i'm going to do mistakes i'm you know it's going to happen but it's amazing to hear that people have these kind of questions today well, let's jump into the next one I'm a single parent raising th three children by myself. I'm giving them everything I have from support, love, time, and energy, and all, all of them are in therapy. The problem is my ex-pastor is just not healthy in many ways. What could I do as a single parent to raise my children <coughs> so they could raise their own healthy home, <coughs> even though I was not able to do it myself? I, I cannot lead by example. <coughs> I think it's two questions. Do you, want, you want to say the first part first? First part is I'm a single parent. I'm trying. I'm doing. The, she's doing everything to raise these three kids. But she could, yeah. Right. Yeah. The problem is every time the father, whatever, I mean, it could be a million different versions. You know, the right. either he doesn't That's come to the, to, the, to the thing, or he comes and he's this, or he's not from whatever. There's a million different. You know, what I mean, whatever it is that he's destroying whatever stability the person is giving. So one spouse is giving the other person not. So what should a single parent do <laughs> in that situation? Number one, and also like at the end of the day, you want to give the child the security to this and that. Basically, you're not leading by example because you yourself couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you something. Uh, you're all going to be shocked. Of this is what I'm going to say now. <laughs> you want to be shocked? I'm going to shock you. Your ex is not <laughs> going to change after your divorce. You divorced him for a reason. <laughs> People always come and they complain. No, my ex did this. I can't believe it. But really, you divorced him for a reason or her. And we, it, it's, it's interesting that we expect our, our ex to become a mensch after the, after the divorce. <laughs> you know, if your ex is misbehaving, you should just remember, oh, that's the reason why we got divorced. Thank you, Hashem. He's keeps on reminding me, you know, I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't forget. So by living together with this ex, it would have been even worse for your children. Because I always say in the olden days, the olden days in the past, they used to say that live together, stick it out. Even if you're fighting, killing each other, it's the worst thing you're getting divorced. <laughs> your children are going to suffer. It's not true. Children feel more safer in a single parent home 
even if one of the two uh, one of the two parents are fighting the other and doing crazy things they still grow up safer and healthier than when they're growing up and actually witnessing the fights at home it's very unstable and it's very insecure feeling for a child to grow up and see the parents fighting so first of all she should know whoever asked this question that your children are doing better now than you would be living with your with your ex it's already better and then living by example there's two ways of living by example living by example meaning you're actually role modeling but if you can't role model because you're not remarried or you don't have someone that you could actually talk to them conversations and you should actually have conversations talk to them about different marriages ask interesting questions what do you think should be in a marriage when you know if, if your child is old enough 15 and older you want or 13 and older you want to talk about marriage you say you know I have an interesting question out of the blue when you sit on the couch with your son, with your daughter, and you say, we talk about a child and a son that, that has a, a crazy parent that's, that's doing, that's doing uh, hurtful things to the children. You could still be the parent having conversations with them and telling them how life should really be by interactive conversations, by questions and answers, what they think, what you think. I think that's going to be very effective. Okay, I think we can go to the last question, which is a heavy one. And... Uh... How do I connect with my child while I have zero communication with them? Since after my divorce, my ex-spouse cut them off from me. Uh, again, it's a long story, but that's basically the question. How can I connect even though there's no communication? What are some ideas? First of all, I understand you very well. You could answer the question? I'm going to answer the question. I just had can to you breathe. answer the question? I had to breathe in. <laughs> You're kidding. I had to uh, breathe on this for first because this is this is something that I had to do. Um, I think first let's start with the Rachnius answer, then we'll give a psychological answer. I think that in Rachnius and in, in Yiddishkeit, I think that we we were told Chazal told us that the Shleishushit Fim Udam, there are three partners to every person. Nobody's ever alone. You have three partners. You have a father, a mother, and Hashem. And the Torah says, Avi Yisoyimim, that I am the father of someone that's missing a, father, a, 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 a biological father or mother. I become your father. What does that mean? If let's say there's three partners in a business and every person has a different mission, a different part in the business, and one of them is absent for a couple of weeks, the other two have to work double. The other two don't do a third each in the business. He does half the job and he does half the job. So the Torah says that, the, that Hashem doesn't take just the half. If, if there's one father absent or a mother absent, Hashem takes the job fully. I'm Davi Yisoyimim. And the Minchas Chinuch says that Yisoyimim, and, and all of you should know this, Yisoyimim is not, an orphan is not only someone that actually physically lost a parent. A Yusim is someone that's vulnerable, as i.e. divorced home. That's what, that's what the Minchas Chinuch says. If a child grows up in a single parent home with a mommy alone, with a father alone, or by choice or by not choice, whatever it is, the child is considered a yusim, which means that Hashem does the job. In a way, Hashem does a better job than we do in Chinuch. Much better. Hashem does a much better job. So there were times when I couldn't be mechanach my child. It was just now Pesach, and I have it every year. I'm, I'm 17 years remarried, Hashem, and I still have it. When I 
put on my kittle over my head with my little kids and I put them on by Dichanan when the Kahanam bench us. And I always get that out to my heart when I remember when I used to put down the talus over my head and my own little children couldn't be under my talus. They were far away in a foreign country in a very distant place. It was so painful for me every single time. So now that I do have my children under my talus and I thank Hashem that I have them. So I know the feeling and I know the whole thing, but I remember by Dichen, I used to say, Hashem, you are their father now. I cannot be the Machanach. And you know what? I couldn't ruin them either. I couldn't do mistakes in Chinuch on them. Hashem took care of them. That is the Rochnizig answer. And we need to understand that if you did yours, you're trying to have a Shaykhus to your kid and your ex is fighting you. Um, Gehenim is very big for these people. <laughs> Hashem is going to take care of them. But Lamas, uh, you don't know what to do. Just daven and let Hashem do the job. And on a physical, on an actual, on a practical level, on a psychological level, I think that you could be mechanich children in a way that it could be retroactive. You could write to your children emails or letters, whatever you wanted to tell them. Now you heard that your daughter had a sitter play in school. You should, with all your feelings, you should write down on a settle and everything you would want that child to do and, and to hear from you. Hugs and kisses, you should write on the paper. You could be, so when your child comes back into your life and your child is going to read all those emails and all those letters and going to see a whole closet full of gifts that you bought for your child, your child is going to have a zip file, a compressed file of all the chinuch you wanted to do till now, zoom into the head and say, wow. Of course, it's going to take time for their system to unload it. They might need to do it with their spouse or with their new therapist. But you could do a lot of chinuch now, and they'll only get it later. But definitely, you should try to do something. And I just want to add to this method, to this idea that I've given to many people, and it worked. That they, they, the children loved it when they came, when they finally came back to the parent. Um, you need to know that not everybody's able to do this. Some of us are not able to constantly think about our children when they're away on an every five-minute basis because it brings us down and it doesn't let us move on in life and we're going to end up looking like my cousin, like that person that we said before. This is way too painful for some of us. So if you can do that, don't do it. It's okay. You'll have other ways of proving to your child that you love them and you care for them and you'll have other ways of being the mechanic later. So just do the rachnis way and just be mispal for them and rely on Hashem that he's doing the great job. But if you're able to, you should, you, should, you should send them letters and one day they'll read it and one day they'll see what you did for them. And, and besides, some of us are able to actually reach out to rabbis and teachers. That you could do right away. If the rabbi and teacher you say, listen, I know that if I'm going to ask you to be a middleman and bring my child to talk to me, it's going to create chaos and there's going to be fights and whatever. I don't want to do that. I just give me reports. Tell me what my child is doing. <laughs> And you could tell you, you, you know, and you could give Hanukkah geld and, and money talks. You give Hanukkah geld and Piram geld to your child's teacher, even, even if you're living away from them. There's other things you could do. You could always find out if they're, you know, there, there's other things. I remember I once went all the way to, to Europe to see my children. And I knew I was not going to be able to see my child. And my friend that lives over there who had a, um, his house was back to back with the school. I was on the second floor of his house looking down and I actually took a video of it of saw my 
child dancing in the play and playing with the friends in school. I went for 15 minutes, traveled all the way to, to Europe. I saw my children playing. Of course, I was crying and I couldn't face. It was terrible, but it was, I wanted to be there. I wanted to see my child growing up, went back onto the plane and came back to New York. One day it came out out of, out of the blue. I forgot to tell it to my child and it just came out and I told her about it. I think that that was the greatest chinuch I could have done retroactively. It was very healing, very, very healing. So everybody could do whatever, everybody should do whatever they're able to do to, to do remote control chinuch. Wow. Okay, let's go to closing. We're going to wrap things up. Um, for the people that wanted to still ask questions, we're going to go to, you know, we're not going to be able to get there. Yeah, okay, we'll get there in a minute. Again, first of all, coming on tonight, giving so much chizik and chazik. We, we covered so much ground tonight. <laughs> it was like 20 shiurim in one. And uh, it was really unbelievable. Everybody's texting. It was really powerful. It was very, very vulnerable. And we appreciate you coming on. Again, tonight, Shir, Shir 100. We said it was Gamacha Yoifi, Yud Fei Yud. Hashem, we should be there to have beautiful children. And uh, we should be able to, to really just raise them the right way in the Rechta Gedech. And again, if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp status, every Sunday I'll send you the flyers. Uh, please text me at 848-525-0066. And I will send you the flyer. If you want to sign up for the emails and all the information and get every week the flyer from Menachem, go to menachembarifal.com. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on the Zoom ID. If unbelievable, robotic topics, therapists, we cover ground. Tonight, again, Shia was 100. So next, tomorrow, next week is 101. Next Sunday, May 8th, Shia 101, will be Rabbi Yaman Weinberg. He's the Rabbi Oil Mordechai, Mordechai Stiebel in Palms River, New Jersey. He's also the second Rabbi Tali Mor Stiebel in Palms River. So we'll be discussing the three key points to stay connected as we mature, how to remain passionate about Yiddishkeit after Yeshiva and seminary, which would be a powerful and meaningful program. If you know anybody that could gain from it, everybody can gain from such a program. So please jump in and gain and be part of our Sichas Chaverim. And uh, I just wanted to say everything uh, tonight is recorded. The Mekshem will be up on Menachem Berenfeld's web website a little bit later on menachemberenfeld.com. If anybody has any questions for Menachem, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Again, if anyone wants to hear this, next time will be on our phone lines tomorrow, share 100. The number is 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. I guess I should to all the advertising sponsors of the Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yanif Chazak, Ellie and Ariel from the Five Towns Central, and a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman, JCM from the Jewish Content Network. And I just wanted to say again one more time, and I'm going to email it out, but I'm going to email it again. Um, our resident dating coach, Sasha Gordon, is offering free five-day workshop for women, how to find your soulmate. This is an event not to miss. Watch for our upcoming uh, email. Menachem will send it out. The links to register. I think, you know, anybody, you know anybody that's dating, whether first time, second time, she deals with remarriage also, or some, uh, please look for the email and sign up for her course, it's, uh, her program for free. So definitely try it. Um, and I just wanted to wrap it up by saying, Shlema, we love you. You're Moyerdik. Thank you. And I think tonight we all gained a lot and learned a lot. It was very meaningful. It was very vashert that you should be here tonight. And um, I think we have a lot more to talk about. I think we have a lot more to talk about. I think we scratched some surfaces, but uh, we have a lot more to talk about. And uh, people are texting me. I'll get to you in a minute. But before Benachem goes to closing, I want to know about how they connect with you, email, phone number, social security number, what shiurim you have. So just give all that information quickly and then we'll give it to Menachem and then we're going to give it back to you for the closing. 
Okay. Uh, personally, the, people could email me at Rabbi Erlich at Gmail. Spell that and just spell that clearly. R A B B I E H R L I C H at Gmail. Okay. Um, I do have a website, it's rabbierlich.org. Um, I'm on YouTube, Shlomi Erlich. I'm on Instagram, I'm all over, I guess, in the social media, just type in my name. And um, yeah, I give different shirms. So I, I, I really hope that, uh, okay, first, I, I guess yeah. Menachem's gonna. Okay, Coach Menachem, can you try to like wrap that into one <laughs> closing? Good luck. No, first of all, I wanna, I wanna thank you, Shlomi. It's, uh, you know, when people go through this, it's, it, it's real. And uh, I, do, I do want to mention that people want, they want only good and they want to take care of the kids. And while you're at it, sometimes it can be too much and you're trying to figure out how. And um, really the, the answer is really to be able to, like you said, to wait. And even while you're in it, you don't see any light in the end of the tunnel. And you don't know how it's going to look like. And you can't imagine. It's always good to hear from others that went through and Baruch Hashem things worked out. But sometimes when you're in it, it just, it could be very, very hard. And uh, one thing I would say is a lot of self-care, whatever it takes, whatever works for you, so that you can be there when you need to be there and uh, be Ms. Paolo. And that's a, a, being able to a little bit of disconnect because trying to figure out exactly what to do in a, in, in a painful situation sometimes is just not possible. You do your best and be able to take off a little bit to rejuvenate and come back because it's heavy. So thank you very much and uh, Hashem should help us all and what we need to be able to grow and help our kids grow up healthy. Amen. Hashem. Laima, please leave us with chizik and knock it out of the park. Okay. Uh, Menachem, I, I like the way you said the self-care thing. I, I, I want to elaborate on that a tiny bit. I think that um, I encourage people sometimes to become selfish. <laughs> what do I mean by that? We are so selfless as parents. We are so selfless. Anybody listening here is a selfless parent, giving away uh, 12 o'clock at night, listening to a shir. I think that all of us want to do the best that we can for our kids, and we forget about ourselves sometimes. You need to treat yourself sometimes. We need to really buy, you could buy yourself a gift also, even if you're a single person. Don't think that, that, that it's, a, that it's a, it, it, you know, it sounds funny, but really you should. You should pat yourself in the back, you know, and, and, um, we need to have a lot of koyach. And, um, you know, as you see uh, on the plane, um, when they announce today that when, if Chazal Shomi have to the, get the masks have to come down, you should first put on yourself and then you should put on, on the child sitting near you, right? Because if you don't do that, you, you're going to lose consciousness and then, then both of you are not going to survive as if. So, but, but really, this is the idea. You first need to have oxygen in order to give oxygen to someone else. And um, a parent does, that does too much for the children it's 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 they, they don't sleep they don't eat they don't take care of themselves or they don't take care of themselves emotionally and socially even if you're a single mother or a single father you should go out with your friends one night a week you, you should treat yourself it's okay your children are just going to become a little more resilient if they're not going to have you you know we're doing so much we need to you you, you need to refuel you need to take care of yourself and it's, and it's so important to 
we have wants and need, we have so many needs. And uh, if you're not going to take care of yourself, it's, it's your children are going to suffer more. And um, I think that that's, that's, that's one thing I wanted to add just on, on you know, on, on what you said, but, but as a closing remark, I think that in general, across the board, anybody that wants to make sure that your children are having a successful marriage is one of the greatest things you should do is you start educating them and talking about marriage from age 15 and up. I know I'm Hasidish and we get married by the 18, but <laughs> I mean it seriously, even if you marry off your children at the 25. Age 15 and up is where the brain could start. You could just throw in questions now and there. You can't just, when, you know, my son is in the, in the dating parsha, what do I tell him? Like, really? He didn't know like three years ago he's going to get married. And, it, you know, again, even if it's a yeshiva bacha, even if it's a girl that that's it, you don't have to like put stress on them and start asking them major questions. But out of the blue, let's say your niece and nephew just came for, for a supper. And, and, and when they leave, you ask your daughter, no, you would want to have a, a type of a boy like him, someone else. What do you like about, what do you think about, you know, it, let people develop their own, their own, their own uh, self-identity when it comes to marriage, their own need. It's so important. You, you don't start shaduchim right before they start Shaduchim. When they start the parsha, it's too late. It's, it's not too late. It's never too late, but it's quite late. It, it has to be, this is ultimately the greatest and most important uh, feature in life is marriage or, or the most important skill or the most important choice, a decision in your life to ever make. The greatest decision in your life you ever have to make is, is who you should marry. So you can't start, it's like teaching olive base when they're right before they have to start Gemara. You start olive base way before, and then you go to Chumash, and then you go to Rashi. It doesn't go, you don't, marriage is a conversation. Marriage is role modeling. And if you can't role model, marriage is discussion, conversation. It's not, uh, it, it, it's something that needs to be talked about way, 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 very, way before the Parsha actually starts. So this is a general rule, a, a, a general suggestion, a general uh, idea that all of us should really have conversations about marriage and, and essence of marriage. I want to tell you something very funny. I have on my block, uh, you know, I live, I live in Muncie over here. We have all kinds of neighbors, right? So I have ultra Hasidish and very yeshivish Litvish on one block. Okay. So it was just a couple of years ago. Both two of my neighbors, both of them had a kala at home. The Hasidish guy had a color at home, and, and, and the, the Yeshivish, the Litvish had a color at home. So it was interesting. My wife pointed out to me when she was talking to this girl, to the Hasidish girl, all she was talking about, the Hasidish, was about the flowers and, and, and the gifts that she got from her. She was talking about everything but her Hasidish, because she doesn't know him. <laughs> everything she was talking about is about her Hasidish, but was about everything else. The Litvish girl, the Yeshivish girl, that she dated her, well, she's into it. She knows why, at least she thinks she knows. She's talking about 90% of the conversation was about her chassan. And then she also say, yeah, my wedding's being there, my wedding's being in there. I don't mean chassidish versus letfish. You know, everybody has their malas and their chassidish. We could talk about it. And no, I'm not, I'm not instigating. I'm not trying to say that this is better than that. Just for this particular uh, um, um, message that we could learn from it, I use this, this, this uh, marshal. Obviously, there's huge advantages to every community and every style of doing things. Whoa, that was a good disclaimer, right? Yeah, you, <laughs> you covered yourself good. I had to cover myself. No, but it's, it's true what I said. I, I didn't just say to cover myself. I just came to, to clarify to people. You know, 
if if you could have in the Hasidic community as well, where there's only a show and only they met once, but they they have told their parents, Tati, I want to marry a boy that has this personality. This personality is not going to work with me. You just got leveled this way. This is important to me. This is not. I'm ready. And 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 it also makes your child think, what am I bringing to the marriage when they're 15? So if I have a conversation with my daughter when she's 15 and, and, and we talk about, no, so who do you want to marry? What type? You know, like we bring up conversation about marriage. She could start saying, whoa, I, I really need to work on this. You know, I really get angry too quickly. Okay, by the time I'll be 18, I'll be worked out. You know, by the time I'll be 19, whenever. So conversation about marriage, I think is, 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 is a must. I think it's a must. I think it's, it's something that we should all encourage and have. Have them think about marriage somewhat. It doesn't have to be too much. Again, every, you know, people take things extreme sometimes. It's just the idea. It should be in their mind. And I remember my father, it's interesting. My father always used to tell me when I was a young teenager, he always used to tell me, you know, you're going to get married. So you have to work on this. Yeah, like it was, you know, he was, he was, he was an old timer, but he was still knew that, that this is something you always have to, while I was engaged, forget about it. He gave me so much more, sir. <laughs> you have to help her wash the dishes you have to help you know he told me everything but <laughs> it, it it's uh I, I i think i would leave everybody off with this that that marriage has to be a conversation way before we get into the parish in general across the board and uh and and i i just want to thank everybody for for being here and for giving me a bracha we all want a bracha a bracha Ooh, uh. the gemara says that uh you shouldn't take lightly a bracha from a from a regular person over the street, even someone that's not a uh, a, a big person. So I say that <laughs> more so someone that's mamish <laughs> not. <laughs> someone that's really not a heady, less than it. No, but I want to say that um, I give everybody a bracha that you should um, you should make smart choices and teach your children to make smart choices. Life is about choices. And ultimately, it's all about Bechira. Hashem created the world that all of us have to make, you know, we have to choose right or wrong every minute of every day. And um, and and uh, Hashem said that you should have it easier, easy completely, but easier from wherever you're at. And never compare yourself to other people. People go through journeys, different times of their life. And... Um, and uh, we, we should we should be zaycha that 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 we should as the navi says before Mashiach is going to come it's going to be v'hayshiv la'vulvus albunam la'vanam la'vaysam elio navi is going to before Mashiach is going to come he's going to bring back the hearts of the children to the parents and the hearts of the parents to the children we should be zaycha shataka should happen already we should see it in our personal lives and and and, and everybody should should be emes be zaycha to 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 that your children should know how much you love them. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody, see you next time, next Sunday, 9.30, May 8th, for Yom and Weinberger. Now it's 12 o'clock. We can all say Tikkun Chatzot. Good night. Yom and Weinberger. Yom and Weinberger. Sorry. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.